The following is presented by the Center for Political Innovation, CPI, Building American Socialism for the 21st Century. To learn more, visit cpiusa.org. Hello, everyone. How are you doing tonight? Welcome, 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 welcome. So glad that you are here with me. It's going to be a great, a great evening. I'm really, really glad to have you here. This is going to be tremendous. I'm really excited for everything that I've got for you tonight. Everything is going to be awesome. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. I'm just making sure that we're getting going on Rockfin. And we are now on Rockfin. And uh, yeah, we're good. We're gold. We are doing really, really well. So I think we'll start. We'll start with our our intro video, and then we'll go from there. Spokesman of the American century, I say that the century on which we are entering can be and must be the century of the common man. A radical redistribution of economic power. I mean, we know that racism is just is a byproduct of capitalism. Everything would be all right if everything was put back in the hands of the people. We need a government that will make sure Americans are taken care of and organize the economy to serve the people, not the profits of a wealthy few. We now have the techniques and the resources to get rid of poverty. We got to start getting out there with the people. Get out of the movement and get to the masses. We need a government of action. So, welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Things are going very, very well. So glad to be here with all of you tonight. Be sure to hit the like button. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. Be sure to hit the notifications bell. Always good to have folks hit the notifications bell. Always good, um, you know, and uh, wow. There you go. So, uh You know, Donald Trump's social media app just dropped his new social media app. I wonder if he got the name from the Soviet Union, right? It's called Truth, and that's what Pravda translates to. Uh, That would be cool. I kind of doubt that Donald Trump got the name from there, but you never know. I have got this brand new microphone that I'm talking to you all in, right? Uh, And so that's pretty cool. Uh, And uh, we're here, and we're going to have a great stream tonight. So hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell. Um, and we're just gonna gonna talk about things. Uh, the way I do this is I do the uh, opening remarks, uh, and then we do the roll call, and then I answer your super chat questions for the rest of the night. Now, lately, we've been doing this thing on these streams. If you haven't noticed, I don't do it every time, but we do this thing where I open up the stream and I let people come on with their webcams. And make comments now. Now, the rules are you have to show your face, and uh, if there's any funny business, I'll take you right off. I will take you right off. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun to see who's on the other side of the camera. We see that a little bit in the roll call, where we call out uh, people by their name and location. We find out who's there. Uh, we might do that again tonight. I think towards the end of my opening remarks, uh, we may actually do the roll call. Uh, we're not do the roll call, but we'll rather uh, open it up. But the way this works is uh, 
opening remarks, roll call, and then I answer super chat questions. So if there's a topic you want me to touch on, shoot me a super chat and I will answer it. That's how we will do it. Um, I will answer your super chat questions in the second half of the show. I might open it up towards the beginning of the opening remarks or towards the end of the opening remarks. So we shall see. We shall see how things go. Um, but I wanted to just begin my opening remarks now. Uh, before I do that, please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell to make sure you stay subscribed. And on top of that, uh, by all means, please tweet this out, post this on Reddit, post this on Facebook, post this on Instagram, post this on Twitter, uh, you know, wherever videos are posted, uh, please spread the word. The more people that are here, the merrier. We're having great streams lately. It's always a lot of fun to do these broadcasts. But uh, folks, I'm looking at the danger of war in Ukraine. And I got to tell you, just before this broadcast, I saw an allegation circulating. Uh, they're claiming that not only is Russia about to invade Ukraine, which Russia has said they're not going to invade Ukraine, but in addition to claiming that Russia is about to invade Ukraine, uh, and then you know, claiming that all these evacuations that are taking place, the people of Donetsk who don't want to get killed, you know, that, that they're being shelled, you know, trying to make it sound like that's hysterical, even though thousands of these people have been killed. And now, uh, now the latest is they are alleging the allegation is being leveled that not only is Russia planning to invade Ukraine, but they have a list of people. This is so ridiculous and offensive. I, I almost don't want to put it into words how stupid and ridiculous these allegations are getting. They're claiming that Russia, not only are they going to invade Ukraine, which they've said they're not, now they're claiming that Russia has a list of people that will be put into concentration camps when they invade Ukraine. Now, you want to talk about a stupid allegation. Of course, what's their source on this? Well, just the American intelligence community said it, right? These people never say anything false about like weapons of mass destruction. These aren't the same people that told us Gaddafi was handing out Viagra uh, so he, women could be raped. Uh, this isn't, you know, the same people that claimed there were no drone strikes going on when there were that testified before Congress. John Brennan testified before Congress that there were no drone strikes uh, taking place. And uh, then turned out there were, uh, you know, we found out when he became head of the CIA. I mean, you know, the American intelligence community that has such a good record of telling the truth. I mean, they are just upstanding truth tellers, right? I mean, if the CIA says it, you can just hang your hat on it if the CIA said it, because they never lie about anything. Uh, but this American intelligence community, this American intelligence community that we are told to trust, uh, they apparently are uh, are claiming that Russia is, is planning to put people in concentration camps. Uh, that's the allegation. Anna Mars says that she's happy that I'm here. Well, I'm happy that you're here also, Anna Mars. Anna Mars is on Rockfin. Uh, Rockfin is, is a great app. So, you know, eventually they will ban us from YouTube. So if you want to go sign up on Rockfin, we are on Rockfin. That's where we are. Uh, but this is their allegation. They are so desperate to stir up a war in Eastern Europe right now. Uh, it's getting to be absurd. The allegations are getting crazier by the minute. Um, you know, they're, they're, Russia has not invaded Ukraine. Russia is not going to invade Ukraine. Uh, however, Russia is helping the people of Eastern Ukraine to evacuate because explosions have gone off, because there's shelling taking place of civilian areas. The people of the Eastern regions have been under attack in Donetsk and Luhansk. 
And now the latest is the United States is claiming, oh, there's going to be concentration camps. There's going to be concentration camps. Well, folks, folks, the government in the western part of Ukraine, the Kiev government, has a lot of people in it who are admirers of Stepan Bandera, who was a Nazi collaborator and a participant in the Holocaust. They have been tearing down World War II memorials. And those memorials that they've been tearing down in Ukraine, those World War II memorials are to people who liberated concentration camps, people who helped end the Holocaust. The role of the Soviet Union in the Second World War is one of the most honorable and respectable histories that you can ever come up with. And, and this is something that a lot of people have tried to obscure, and not just the mainstream U.S. media. But the Trotskyites have tried to obscure it. All kinds of people have tried to cover this up. But starting in 1935, in August of 1935, August 2nd of 1935, the Communist International oriented its followers to build a global united front against fascism. Georgi Dimitrov, a Bulgarian communist who had been arrested by Hitler and charged falsely with burning the Reichstag and was eventually freed and sent back to to the Soviet Union. Georgi Dimitrov gave a very important speech about the popular front against fascism, a very important speech uh, reorienting the global communist movement to fight against fascism and to build a popular front. And in different countries, building that popular front meant many different things. Uh, in France, it meant forming a unified government with the Socialist Party. In the United States, it meant you know joining with Roosevelt and building the labor movement, sticking up for the rights of African Americans, condemning Jim Crow segregation. Uh, you know, in various parts of the world, the popular front had many different meanings. But communists all over the world joined the popular front against fascism. Uh, in the Spanish Civil War, 1936, you had the Spanish Civil War, and communists from all over the world volunteered to go to Spain to fight against Hitler's ally, Franco. And communists from all over the world went to Spain to fight against Hitler. The record of communists in fighting fascism is astoundingly good, astoundingly good. Um, and uh, meanwhile, the United States was doing business with Hitler, Henry Ford. Uh, was basically a, a Nazi collaborator. Uh, he was given the Iron Cross as a medal by Hitler. It's like uh, People's Party in the U.S. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know either of those people. But um, racist eugenics in China. All right, we'll we'll talk about that. And. Um, these allegations um, that the Soviet Union somehow was not anti-fascist just don't match the facts. In 1936, you had the, uh, the Battle of Cable Street, where communists mobilized against Oswald Mosley. Oswald Mosley was the fascist, um, you know, Chamberlain. Oswald Mosley was a British fascist leader, and he had a parade through a Jewish neighborhood in cable on cable street in britain in london and communists mobilized thousands of people uh to block oswald mosley and say you shall not pass you shall not pass and they had an anti-fascist demonstration uh the communist movement's record when it came to fighting fascism and the record of the communist movement as it was being led by the soviet union in the fight against fascism was astoundingly good 
the partisan brigades that were formed of, of communist resistance fighters, uh, the underground resistance within Germany, within Italy, uh, within the fascist countries, uh, the the resistance in France, those were all communists. Uh, the heroic effort of communists uh, during the Second World War, the heroic role of the, of the Red Army that liberated Berlin, that took Berlin. Um, you know, why did Stalin not save his son? All right. The, the army that, that took Berlin uh, and, and, you know, and liberated, liberated the peoples of Eastern Europe from fascism, that, that tore down the walls of Auschwitz concentration camp. This is one of the most proud moments in the history of, of the Russian people and of the peoples of the Soviet Union. Uh, when they tore down fascism, when they defeated fascism and the effort to obscure that and to equate the Soviet Union with fascism. Uh, that has been a big part of the synthetic left and their efforts. And now we see this, that there are open Nazi admirers, Nazi collaborators working with the United States in Ukraine, the Azov Battalion that's being armed by the U.S. government. And they're tearing down World War II memorials. They're having parades for Stepan Bandera, who was a Nazi collaborator. Um, and meanwhile, in order to distract from this and to cover this up, uh, what are they doing? They are at this point, uh, claiming, claiming that they, somebody told somebody, and according to an anonymous intelligence source, Russia is planning to put people in camps. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. And it's, it's offensive. Um, and it's just like the lies that were told about Libya in the lead up to the U.S. intervention. It's just like those Iraqi weapons of mass destruction. Who can forget Kuwait, uh, the, the situation in Kuwait when Iraq invaded Kuwait and they wanted to convince the U.S. public it was necessary to, to send troops to Kuwait to drive Saddam Hussein and the Iraqi Baathist army out of Kuwait. And so they staged a fake testimony, the Naria testimony. And they had this, this woman get on TV and cry and say, oh, the babies, they're taking the babies out of the incubators. And they showed it on CNN over and over and over and over and over again. They showed it on CNN. Turned out to all be fake. The woman speaking was a member of the Kuwaiti royal family who was never in Kuwait at the time. She lived in the United States. She wasn't even under oath when she testified because she was lying and they didn't want her to be prosecuted for it. The whole thing was a big hoax in order to set the stage, set the stage for the U.S. military intervention in the Gulf War. It was all a hoax. And they do this when they're trying to set the stage for wars. Um, right. Abolition of police. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Um, and this is what they do when they're trying to set the stage for wars is they lie and they lie and they lie. Do you remember they said earlier uh, that the invasion of Ukraine was supposed to happen on Wednesday at 1 a.m. British time? Oopsie daisy. Didn't happen. Uh, this is getting stupider by the minute folks, and they are trying to distract us from a lot of things that are going on right now. The imperialists, the imperialists, your next book should be on the lies of U.S. foreign policy. Writing it down. The imperialists are doing so many indefensible, evil, satanic things right now. And this is all a big distraction from it. Uh, they're psyching us up for a war in Ukraine 
to distract us from what's really taking place. Uh, let's go over a few things the imperialists are doing right now. One, uh, you've got Alex Saab. This is a Venezuelan diplomat who was on his way from Venezuela to Iran to arrange for Iran to export food and medicine to Venezuela. He was dragged off of an airplane, right? USSR state capitalist. All right. Dragged off of an airplane, dragged off of an airplane and uh, held in Cape Verde and then extradited to the United States. And he is now in Miami awaiting trial. And they are trying to charge him with money laundering, saying that the transactions, uh, because the USA put sanctions on Iran and because the USA put sanctions on Venezuela, he, as a Venezuelan diplomat, as a representative of the Venezuelan people and government, didn't have the right to do these business transactions because the United States said so. Germany willing to kill Nord Stream 2. They're trying to say that Alex Saab, um, you know, you know, doesn't have the right uh, to, to do business on behalf of the Venezuelan government. Um, and it's it's horrendous what they're doing. Uh, and and Alex Saab is a dep- has diplomatic immunity as a as a Venezuelan government official and on a diplomatic mission. They had no right to drag him off that plane. What he was doing was completely legal. It is legal for Venezuela and Iran to do business with each other. The USA has no jurisdiction in either country, none whatsoever. The USA does not recognize the government of Venezuela. The USA does not recognize the government of Iran. The USA has no jurisdiction. The USA has absolutely no business telling telling Venezuela and Iran they can't do business. And they dragged Alex Saab off of a plane. And then uh, his his court date, his first, you know, an, another court date happened. And that court date happened on Wednesday. And on Wednesday at that court date, um, they put out a press release saying that Alex Saab had been a DEA drug informant. Now, this was this is an interesting psyop. It shows you how manipulative they are with social media and such. So they said that, well, you know, Alex Saab is a DEA informant. He was cooperating with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. And the Venezuelans came out and they said, no shit. Yeah, we told him to. We gave him permission. We gave him permission to do that. He was acting as a representative of the Venezuelan government. Yes, in Venezuela, we have problems with narco gangs. And we also have problems, uh, you know, with with narco gangs in the United States and drug gangs. And the DEA and Venezuela were having, you know, secret talks. And Alex Saab, operating in full cooperation with the Venezuelan government, sat down with the DEA. Not a big deal at all. No scandal here whatsoever. However, they blasted all over the media. Alex Saab proved to be DEA informant. Why? First of all, they want all the left book losers to go, oh my God, Alex Saab's like a narc, man. He's a narc. He's like a narc. He's going to take my marijuana away. I shouldn't protest for Alex Saab. I should hate Venezuela because like, their guy's like totally a narc, man. Oh, he's a narc. He's a narc, dude. Like, like he's going to turn me in for smoking weed. And it's like, no, no, there are these violent terrorist drug gangs in Venezuela and in Colombia and all throughout South and Central America that murder people. And the Venezuelan government wants to fight them and it wants information on them. And they had some kind of back channel communication. And Alex Saab talks to the DEA about it. No scandal here. No scandal whatsoever. Uh, but the way that the headlines were written, you would think that Alex Saab was, you know, walking up to people and trying to sell him cocaine while he had a wire on or something. It was ridiculous. It's a psyop. 
The other reason, the more dangerous reason that they put that out, and this is what Alex Saab's wife, Camilla Saab, has come out and said, is that the narco gangs have a policy of murdering people they consider to be snitches and murdering their families. These narco gangs are pretty evil groups. They're pretty evil. Um, and so basically they put, they blasted these headlines out there and Josh Goodman of the Associated Press and, and they put out all these headlines in the hopes, this is so evil, in the hopes that the narcos will assassinate the family of Alex Saab. Or that if Alex Saab, if they end up having to free him, he'll go back to Venezuela and the narco gangs will kill him. Or maybe they can have the CIA kill him and they can say, oh, well, the narco gangs are mad at him. He was an informant after all. I mean, this is a really evil thing that they're doing to Alex Saab. Really evil what they're doing to Alex Saab. And all he did, his crime was trying to get food and medicine to the people of Venezuela, trying to do business with Iran. They should release Alex Saab immediately. They should cut the crap. They should cut the psyops. They should cut the propaganda. Free Alex Saab, period. End of discussion. That's one thing that while we have this hysterical you know, stuff about war with Russia, et cetera, they're, they're ignoring. Thing number two that they're ignoring right now, there is mass malnutrition going on in Afghanistan. Like 70% of the population is food insecure. They're hungry. It's wintertime. The USA occupied Afghanistan for 20 years, kept the country unstable, kept the country in a state of unrest and instability. Um, and what? Um, okay. Never met journalists complicit with these lies. And, you know, for, for 20 years, the USA occupied Afghanistan, 20 years, and the drug gangs got bigger and the heroin flooded the world market and uh, the terrorist groups got stronger. There were terrorist groups that attacked Iran from Afghanistan. There were terrorist groups that attacked uh, China from Afghanistan, you know, groups that functioned throughout Central Asia and attacked countries aligned with Russia and Afghanistan, the whole time the USA was occupying it, it didn't get more stable, didn't get more peaceful. It just got worse. So finally, Joe Biden decided to pack up and leave. And when he left, he froze all the money of the Afghan government. The, all of the money of the Afghan government was frozen. It was frozen. And then, like a week ago, Joe Biden just announced that he's giving that money to the 9-11 victims. He's giving all of the money. Can you imagine? Afghanistan's a country. All of a country's money is being given to the 9-11 victims. So there's a country where people are literally starving to death. There's a crisis of malnutrition going on. And Joe Biden takes their money and he gives it to the 9-11 families. And keep in mind, Afghanistan had nothing to do with 9-11. Osama bin Laden, who is you know, considered to be the perpetrator of 9-11, uh, was a Saudi, a wealthy Saudi billionaire. Uh, and... You know, I mean, none of the hijackers were from Afghanistan. The Afghan people who are starving to death had nothing to do, nothing to do uh, with the attack on 9-11. I mean, this is a genocidal policy. Joe Biden is using food as a weapon of war. It's a crime uh, what he's doing. He's going to try and starve the Afghan people to death. Uh, it's pretty horrendous. Uh, what do you think of the anarchist critique of vanguardism, state socialism and socialism in one country? All right. Critique, vanguardism, 
socialism and socialism in one country. And this is, this is just utterly horrendous what they are doing. Uh, they are committing a crime against humanity. When you steal money from people, uh, you know, when you, when you steal money from a country and there's a country that's having a crisis of malnutrition after you occupied it for 20 years, uh, and the foods, the, the fields that should be growing food are growing opium poppies for the international drug cartels. And the country has been unstable with terrorist groups under U.S. occupation. And then you just walk off with that country's money, with the official government money of that country. I mean, this is a crime against humanity. And uh, it's not a crime being committed by Putin, not a crime being committed by China. This is a crime being committed by the U.S. government. They are murdering people in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, and here we are, you know, the United States is saying, oh, look, Russia might in, in possibly invade Ukraine, even though they say they're not going to, even though they're moving troops away from the border. This is horrendous. But that's that's another thing they're distracting us from. Thing number three, no matter what you think, OK, no matter what you think about the trucker protest, I support the truckers. I don't I'm not a, an anti-vax guy. You know, I'm vaccinated. My wife is vaccinated. My wife even got a booster. I haven't gotten a booster yet, but I might, you know, and I'm not against the vaccine. The vaccine is not fake. It's not, you know, we're not, I'm not into that. But when these truckers decided to take action against their employers because of a policy that their employers implemented that, that they didn't agree with, I supported them, right? And I said that this is what leftists need to do. We need to get out of the movement to the masses. And the fact that these workers are rising up and they're led by right-wing groups and they are led by right-wing groups, no one doubts that. They're definitely led by right-wing groups, but the fact that the masses are in motion means that we need to find a way to win them to our position. And when the masses are in motion, you can't simply uh, you can't simply spit on them because they're not where you're at politically. We we need to be engaging with these folks. Um, yeah, talking about that, right? Right. Shooting. And. You know, we need to be engaging with these right wing truckers, despite, you know, not agreeing with their ideology. They are in motion. They are workers who are standing up to their employers. And we ought to we ought to be in, you know, in solidarity with them on, on at least that level, um, you know, recognizing the ideological limitations. So regardless of what you think about those protests, even if you hate those protests, you should be terrified of what's happening in Canada right now. The Canadian government is freezing the bank accounts of anyone involved with the protests. If you're in any way involved with the protests, the banks now have your permission, have permission of the Canadian government under this Emergency Powers Act to freeze the bank accounts, to freeze the bank accounts of, of anyone involved in these protests. This is really unbelievable. Freezing the bank accounts. This is big. This is very, very big. Freezing the bank accounts. Um, freezing the bank accounts. I mean, it's horrendous. Plus, in addition to that, uh, there is police brutality. These people are being trampled by horses, right? And we've seen the synthetic left, Hassan, Piker, people like that are supporting uh, these, these, you know, police brutality. Hassan, Piker called for police brutality against these protesters. And it's like, does it not occur to these, these people on the left, these, these phonies who shall not be named? that this can be used against left-wing protests also. And if the left-wing protests were actually a threat to the establishment, they would already be doing this. Um, Trump 2024, you know, um, you know, I mean, has this never occurred to people? Um, 
Has it never occurred to people that that this, I mean, that, that empowering the capitalist state to take these kind of decisive moves against protesters might not be a good idea? Well, no, I guess these protesters are on the red team and we're on the blue team and we should support uh, attacks on them. The PSL uh, says that the Democrats didn't outlaw protest and didn't uh, suppress people enough after January 6th. That is that is what the Party of Socialism and Liberation is saying, that that they, you know, Brian Becker says the Democrats needed to crack down more on Trump supporters. Unbelievable. And, you know, we're seeing the police brutality against these truckers. We're seeing the, the financial moves. Could you imagine that you went to a rally around a cause the government didn't like? And then you went to your bank and they said, no, you don't get your money anymore. We're keeping it. Uh, we have the right to keep it. I mean, that, that has to stop. You can't do that. But I guess, you know, according to, to most leftists now, um, you know, did you ever run for office? Um, most, according to most leftists now, that's acceptable behavior because right-wingers are bad. Right-wingers are bad. They're racist uh, and they're bad. And and like Caleb is the worst one. Like he met with Alexander Dugan, who's like totally a neo-Nazi. And I heard from somebody who heard from somebody that one time he said something or he talked to somebody who's transphobic and like, oh my God, that's how these people think. And they are supporting a brutal crackdown on protesters. Um, it's really, really unbelievable. Um, why even concede that they're right-wing? Um, well, there you go. I mean, there are definitely a lot of right-wing groups involved, but yeah, I'm sure that not everyone there is right-wing. There's probably just a lot of folks there who are just against the against the mandates. Anti-vaxxers come in all different stripes. The Nation of Islam, they are against the vaccine. They are not right-wing by any means. The Nation of Islam are black nationalist revolutionaries, stand with Iran, stand with China, stand with the African people. You know, they, they protested the war in Libya and they're anti-vax. Uh, so yeah, you're right. I shouldn't even say they're right wing. A lot of right wing groups are involved. A lot of right wing groups are funding it, but why even concede, right? There's probably all kinds of people involved. So regardless, um, you know, we have a situation, uh, where, where a, a police brutality, you know, is being rained down on people. Heavy government repression is being rained down on people. That's situation number three. Um, and, and all of this is happening while the United States is just playing up this fear, this, this obsessive fear. Uh, of Russia. And meanwhile, look at the facts of what's actually going on. The people in eastern Ukraine are being shelled. Civilian areas are being attacked. Uh, you know, the Azov Battalion, neo-Nazis are being armed by the United States. There's U.S. National Guard uh, that is actually in uh, Ukraine arming these fascists. Um, but we're just supposed to fixate on being afraid of Russia. Just be afraid of Russia. Just be afraid of Russia. From what I understand, Mainstream media people that are big, that are now supporting the Ukrainians. Um, this is an interesting fact to me. Mainstream media people that are supporting the Ukrainians are actually repeating a slogan, a uh, Ukrainian language slogan uh, that was used by Stepan Bandera, the Nazi collaborator. They're actually repeating a Nazi slogan on air. We have the U.S. government, U.S. U.S. mainstream media people repeating a Nazi anti-Soviet slogan on air. Uh, as part of their hysterical campaign against Russia. I mean, it's really, really unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, Spain, multipolar world. All right. Really unbelievable. It's really unbelievable what is happening right now. Um, but yet, uh, if you if you watch U.S. mainstream media, no, no, no. Putin is just, oh, he's he's just sitting there and he can't stand that those Ukrainian people have freedom and he wants to take away their freedom and he wants to ride in and crush 
their freedom. He wants to ride in and crush their freedom. And that's that's all that's going on. Meanwhile, if you look at what's going on in the world right now, it's pretty clear who the aggressor is. It's pretty clear who the biggest mass murderer is. It's pretty big who the biggest clear who the biggest terrorists are. U.S. imperialism, Wall Street monopolies, the big banks and corporations that dominate the world and are suppressing people. They are the biggest group of terrorists and the biggest bunch of mass murderers in the world. The global imperialist system, the, the global imperialist system where, where Western capitalism, monopoly capitalism, the big banks, the big oil companies, the military contractors, the big corporations, the ultra-rich oligarchy that dominates the world, right? This global system of monopoly capitalism backed up by the U.S. government and the British government and the French government and the German government. They're killing people all over the world. Uh, they invaded Iraq and they destroyed Iraq and they killed hundreds of thousands of people. They lied to justify their invasion and said there were weapons of mass destruction. They invaded Libya and they took what was once the most prosperous country on the African continent, with the highest life expectancy, the world's biggest irrigation system, the great man-made river, and they destroyed it. with their. And then and they created a civil war in Syria that's cost almost a million lives at this point. They've created millions of refugees in Syria. And they're, they're looking to destabilize Venezuela. They're looking to tear down Nicaragua. These are vicious, evil mass murderers. Um, and if we don't recognize that that's what they are, if we don't recognize that U.S. imperialism is the main danger to humanity and the global financial system centered around Wall Street and London, is the main threat to the human race, we're not being honest with ourselves. And that is why I'm a patriotic socialist. And I am not ashamed to be a patriotic socialist. Not at all. Because the biggest victims, well, not the biggest victims, but one of the biggest victims, I should say, one of the biggest victims of this system is the American people. The American people have the same enemy as the Cubans, as the Venezuelans, as the Iranians, as the Iraqis, as the Libyans, as the Russians. We share a common enemy with the people of the world. It is the same big banks and corporations that are pushing us into these wars that have destroyed the United States of America. They're the reason that our roads are not properly paved. They're the reason that our water is not properly purified. They're the reason that opioid addiction is consuming the lives of so many people as doctors were pushed to over-prescribe opioid medication. They are the reason that the living standards in the United States is dropping as they dissolve the United States into their global open financial system, driving down wages and living standards. They are the reason, these same big corporations and banks, the same capitalist ruling class, they are the reason that we have a prison industrial complex in this country, that we have a rising low-wage police state in this country. They're the reason. They're the reason. And the only future for the United States of America, for the working people of the United States of America, is breaking the United States out of this system, standing arm in arm with the people of the world against Wall Street and London. The only future for the American working class, um, all right, sanctions on Trudeau, The only future for the American working class is breaking out. Um, why aren't we? Okay. As oligarchs. 
is breaking out, breaking out of this system. It is in the interests of American working people to instead fight for a government of action, a government of action that will fight for working families, a government that will mobilize the country to be reconstructed, high-speed railway, new roads, new bridges, new universities, new schools, new economic opportunities for the country that will put oil under public ownership and natural gas under public ownership, make the natural resources of this country, the property of all the people, manage them in the interest of the country, put banking into the hands of communities and the local communities, state, you know, and federal, you know, have a banking system where the credit and the purse strings are, you know, operated in a way that's for the benefit of society, not for the benefit of private bankers. And finally, uh, to enact an economic bill of rights, the right to a job, the right to housing, like Roosevelt called for, uh, the right to health care, the right to an education. Those four steps, and thank you, thank you, Defund, thank you very much. Those four steps would transform the United States, break the rule of big banks, break the rule of big oil companies and natural gas monopolies, mobilize the public, uh, build a huge you know, base of support. And with those four points, with those four points, you could change the United States of America drastically. And you could move the United States out of imperialism and towards socialism. This is a popular program. This is a four-point plan people could get behind. And I think people in red states could get behind it. I think people in blue states could get behind it. I think anyone who loves their country could get behind it. And it is our duty to make clear that we love the United States of America. We love the United States of America and that these wars do not benefit average Americans. That's what these people that, that, that don't understand patriotic socialism, I think they really believe that average Americans benefit from these wars. They don't. They do not benefit from these wars. They do not benefit from these wars. And it's average working class Americans that are against these wars. And who is it who supports these wars? It's the middle class who supports these wars. It's people who've been to college and they've been to Harvard and they've been to Yale and they've been to these good schools and they've taken foreign policy classes and they've learned to be educated and they've learned to obey. They're the people who support these wars. But average working class Americans, wherever you go, black, white, Asian, Arab, Latino, they are opposed to these wars. And average working class Americans are opposed to these wars. Average working class Americans don't trust mainstream media. Average American mainstream folks, they trust Joe Rogan more than they trust CNN. And if that is not a reason to get out of the movement and get to the masses and to stop playing the left game and stop being the middle class enforcers of the international oligarchy, I cannot think of, of any more reason. And uh, the message needs to be, we want to make your country better. That needs to be the message to average Americans. And if we are not patriotic, and if we don't say that we love this country, we hate the wars, but we love this country. We love the working people of this country. We want to make a better country. Socialism will save America from the nightmare of imperialism. If we don't say that, the American people will never listen to us. Middle ground between capitalism and socialism. They will never listen to us. They will never listen to us. And that needs to be said. States' rights is opposing high-speed rail. Okay.
And the main, the thing is a lot of these forces, they don't really care. They don't really care about reaching average Americans. This is just an intellectual game. They play, they like to go to protests. They like to feel good about themselves. They like to feel like they're the king of the protest cage. They're so radical, you know, and they don't want to reach average Americans and they want to let this moment pass. And they want to hand over all these all these average Americans to the right wing. And they, they look at these truckers, which, yes, many of them are right wing. And yes, there are many right wing foundations there. And they say, oh, OK, well, they're no good. They're a basket of deplorables. Just, you know, the right wing can have them. And they look at average Americans who are against these wars, who are questioning the government who don't trust mainstream media. And they say, oh, we don't want to recruit them. They're right wing. They didn't go to Harvard and Yale like me. They're not smart like I am. You know, they, you know, some of them use politically incorrect words. You know, some of them don't, you know, don't use the appropriate pronouns when they're speaking. You know, some of them are like religious and like read the Bible. And some of them, you know, some of them actually like, you know, have stuff they believe in. They're not cynical like I am. You know, they actually like want to fight for a cause. And some of them are in the military. Some of them are in the military and some of them have relatives who went to prison. And oh, you know, and some of them have authoritarian tendencies and Oh, these people hate the working class. The synthetic left hates the working class. They hate the working class. It must be said, they hate the working class. They absolutely hate the working class. And they don't want to make a better country. No, listen to them. They want to tear it down, burn it down, right? America was never great. This is an evil country, mom and dad. I'm angry. Oh, I will never support this country. Blah, 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 blah. They have no hope of ever taking power, ever building a mass movement. And they don't want to because that would ruin their protest hustle, right? I mean, if there was actually a socialist revolution, I mean, how would Brian Becker reserve the permits and get to be the leader of it, right? Uh, folks, the revolution will not be permitted. The revolution will not be permitted. There will be no stage set up at the revolution. There will be no signs at the revolution, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, there you go. USSR become middle income country. That's just that's just how it works. And and these people are they are left hustlers. Uh, they've got their little corner of the world where they feel special. They feel important. They're king of the protest cage and they feel so special um, and they get to control leftist politics. And, you know, one of the first rules that they make is no one's ever allowed to be right wing. Uh, and uh, yeah, so there you go. And we have got to stand against this. And look, these people have unleashed a huge amount of nasty smears against me. They would have you believe that even though I, I was protesting for police brutality against police brutality long before it was cool, I went to court with police brutality victims. I actually videotaped an act of police brutality and got the victims acquitted in court. No, no, no. Caleb's the same as the Ku Klux Klan. These people would have you believe that I am a neo-Nazi. I'm a white supremacist. And they have said every nasty lie against me in the book. And they've got more. They've got more. And they bring it on. Bring it on, folks. We just got to get ready. This community has got to get ready. They are going to throw everything at me. That surfing USA guy, Dr. DeVideo. You should look at this. I tweeted it out the other day. Actually, Dr. DeVideo, to make it look like I was saying all gay people were pedophiles, which is the exact opposite of what I was saying. Uh, but he doctored a video just to make me look anti-gay. These people are vicious liars, right? And they will take one thing that's true and they will, they will. They will they will manipulate and, and maneuver about it. Right. And and we should expect this. And this community needs to get ready for this because we're about to blow up. Right. 
right? We got this new microphone, check, check, check. Uh, but this community is about to blow up, right? Some, some stuff is in the works now. Some amazing stuff is in the works right now. I can't talk about it too much. You know that we got a conference coming up March 12th, and that's going to be awesome. And there's some amazing stuff in the works. This community, this city building tendency, we are about to blow up like you've never seen, right? We are on fire and there is some crazy, hella amazing stuff in the works right now. Uh, and it's, it's really exciting what's going to happen. And I, 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 not all of it's going to happen in one day or one week or one month, or, but, but by the end of the year, you're going to be blown away by what we accomplished. We are on the move. Some really big stuff is happening. But when this really big stuff happens, they are going to throw everything they've got at me. They are going to throw everything they've got. I mean, they already smear me, all the pro-imperialist, you know, folks, bread tubers smear me. But also these, you know, these phonies, you know, these protest hustlers, these PSL types, you know, they're going to throw everything at me too because they're jealous. They're competitors, right? This is their grift. This is their, and they don't like somebody showing them up. Out of the movement to the masses shows that their movement hustle isn't going anyplace. They're going to throw everything they've got at me. They're going to accuse me of every nasty, evil thing you've ever heard of. And we're just going to have to keep going because we're not in this because I'm a good guy. You know, I hope that you like me. I hope you like me. I think I'm a good guy, but we're not in this because I'm a good guy. We're in this because we're about the truth. We're in this because this is the only way we can win. This is the only way we can win out of the movement to the masses. We need a government of action to fight for working families, patriotic socialism. This is the only way we can win. If we stay in the protest cage, if we stay in the protest cage. Um, you know, we're going to lose 10 years in construction. I can count the workers who are on Twitter in one hand. Workers are ready for our message. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's Christy out in Austin. And I, I thank you. You are absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Workers are ready for our message and we are ready. We are ready to fight back. And we have just got to weather the storm and get ready because we are going to blow up. And this community is going to be 10 times what it was. Uh, but as we get bigger, the viciousness of our enemies is going to increase. The jealousy of the grifters is going to increase. The viciousness uh, of those who oppose our message is going to increase. We just got to get ready for it. We got to get ready for it. Uh, and I'm warning you all, right? You know, revolution is not a dinner party. It's not, uh, an, uh, it's not painting a picture or writing an essay. Revolution is an act of violence by which one class overthrows another. It cannot be so leisurely, so refined and magnanimous. That's from the Little Red Book. And that's from Chairman Mao Zedong and his report on the Hunan province. And it's very true. Revolution is not a dinner party and I'm ready to fight back and I am ready to resist and I am ready to keep going no matter what they throw at me because of you all, because of the love that I get from all of you. The, the, so many of you have, have, have been so, so kind and you value what we're doing here. You know, when I first started doing these lives, there were like 10 people watching, 15 people watching. Now there's hardly a live we do that doesn't at least hit 250 people watching live, at least all uh, 2000 people watch afterwards. We're blowing up. We're blowing up. This community is on fire because we are the city building tendency. We are what people need. You know, I understand 21st century socialism. I've been to socialist countries. I've studied our movement. I've pondered these questions a great deal. I've been thinking and wondering and trying to figure out what is wrong with the American communist movement for so long. And we have got a formula to win. And honestly, a lot of what we say here in this community, you know, out of the movement to the masses, you know, we are city builders patriotic socialism. This is just common sense in the developing world. This is just common sense 
in the developing world. Anna Mars says it's clear the right wing has just become a smear uh, for any self-serving woke left. If you were to define it, what is right wing? That's a good question. I'm going to write, what is right wing? Thank you, Anna Mars. What is right wing? That's a good question. Very good question. Would you take the opportunity if Tucker Carlson wanted you on the show? Hell yes, I would. Yes, I would, Robert. I would happily go on. Would I go on, Tucker Carlson? Yes, I would. For those who are worried about the right wing, such an agenda as Caleb's people like will demonstrate how truly shallow the right wing solution to the current problem is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but folks, uh, you know, that's where we're at. Uh, we have got to stop the war. Uh, we've got to stop this war. Uh, we've got to expose the lies of the imperialists. We've got to get out of the movement to the masses. We've got to bring forward our city building socialist message. That's what we've got to do. So I am thinking that I will open it up. I am thinking that I will open it up. I'm going to open it up now. I'm going to open it up. I'm putting the link, uh, the link, I'm putting it on Rockfin first. I'll put it on Rockfin. Um, I'm going to put it on Rockfin um, and I'm going to post it in the chat. We're going to open it up. Now we're going to open it up. And again, the rule is, uh, I'm posting the link now. The rule is that uh, you have to show your face before I bring you on. If I don't see a face, I'm not bringing you on. If there's any funny business or anything, we'll stop doing that. I'm willing to take this risk because I love the community. This has the potential to go badly, I do realize. But I just posted the StreamYard link. Uh, so if you want to come on, uh, you know, if you're part of this community and you want to just hop on and, and talk with us tonight, um, you know, um, you know, by all means, uh, you can come on. You can you can jump on here. We've got the link. We've got the link. I'm posting it in the various chats. So if you want to come on, uh, you are welcome to come on. So if you got a webcam and you want to hop on the stream, uh, it's open. So if somebody hops on, uh, if somebody hops on and clicks the link I just posted, um, by all means, uh, I'll bring you on and you can talk about what you want. We'll talk for a couple minutes. I love to open it up. Um, okay, I see somebody is there, but I don't see a face. I don't see a face. Oh, now I see a face. Okay, uh, lean into it, uh, Vaughn. Vaughn, lean in. All right, you ready? Keep your face on the screen, Vaughn. What's happening, Vaughn? Hey, not, not a whole lot, man. I, I want to ask a question. You know, I always hear all the nationalist stuff. I mean, I consider myself a nationalist. Okay. I mean, I support my country. I want my country right. to, you know, dominate in every field possible. I mean, I okay. don't want us to go around fucking over people, you know, like China and stealing right. shit, you know, to get ahead. But I, I you know, I, it, for our, for, you know, for me, I'm 52 years old. So I expect my country, you know, to, to do a lot better and be a lot better. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Gen Xer. I, I grew up in the eighties. I grew up in the cold war, you know, I mean, it, it was scary, but God, we kicked ass on everything. And, you know, I don't care what color you are. I don't care about your ethnicity or anything like that. All I care about is if you're here and you're a citizen or even a legal residence, get some skin in the game. Assimilate. Well, it sounds like you're, you're not English. a, well, it seems like you're not a, a nationalist. You're a patriot. And I think there's a difference between that. A patriot just loves the country you live in. Right. But nationalism well, I mean, I love my, a nation. Well, I mean, I love my country, yeah. But I was, I mean, in the nationalist, the sense that I don't want anyone here illegally. If you're here, okay. you know, you need to be doing things that make this country better. You know, just that, well, as far on. as I'm concerned at this point, the United States should be dominating the world. We should be the focal point that the rest of the world wants to be like. I know we're not perfect, but well, 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 wait you know, a anyone second, that lives Ron. in the United Ron, States. Ron. Vaughn, hold on. Yeah. Now you said you said 
on the one hand, you said you want the United States to dominate the world. Yeah. On the other hand, you said you, we should be the focal point the rest of the world likes to be like. Well, I agree with the second part. You know, wouldn't it be great if our country was doing things in the best way and people were trying to be like us? But if we're going That's around what I meant by dominating, I yeah, meant like right. technology you know, yeah, and stuff. When you not say dominating, it sounds like you want us to like colonize other countries or something. I don't agree with that. No, no, also, no, no. Yeah. And as also as far as uh, the issue with the undocumented workers, I mean, wouldn't it be great if if we had a trade relationship with Mexico with Guatemala, yeah. with these other countries where these countries were getting wealthier and people didn't want to leave, right? And that there weren't people, you know, you know, fleeing because of drug gangs and poverty and piling onto our border. Wouldn't that be a better situation? Yeah. And see, and what I mean by dominating and us, you know, being that beacon is, you know, we do all these right things. We do these good things. We're, you know, we're the good guys again. You know, people can look and say, you know, hey, if you know, people come to our country for medical care and stuff. That's what I mean by dominating. And, and just... Hmm. Just so you'd like us to to be the ideal of the world. Yeah, I think I I think you know we've had our problems. Obviously, everybody has their problems. We're not perfect, but I mean, I'm sure there's people in your chat or whatever that would disagree. But I defy anyone to find another country. I mean, I've, I'm 52, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s, so I got maybe a better feel of like what the good stuff of America is, not the all woke bullshit now. Mm -hmm. But I mean, seriously, go anywhere else in the world you know, and, and try to live the way you live here and do everything you do here. And I just, the to their same, world, the same but, big banks and corporations uh, that have impoverished and kept Afghanistan in those situations are driving down our living standards here in the United States. You know, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're selling us out with these trade deals. Uh, they're driving down the living standards. Uh, you know, they, they, they were unpaving the roads. I mean, it seems to me like like we agree on quite a bit, uh, despite. Oh, I, you know, I I came in late to the chat, and I would never assume that you were anything that your detractors would say. I'm not even going to say those words because sure. that shit's so overplayed and useless. I mean, there are, are real fascists in Ukraine propped up by previous administrations in the United States. And they're trying to start a war that can get out of control real easy. I was a veteran. I served in the 90s, so I missed the Cold War, but we still had a lot of stuff going on. You know, once that shit starts over there, you don't know what's going to happen. And the biggest, scariest part about the whole thing, nobody should be scared of Putin or anything else. You should be scared that Biden is the president because that guy is the biggest wild card in the whole world. And who knows what that dipshit's going to do? I, I agree with you I, on that as well. Well, I, I think we should direct our, our anger at, you know, the big banks and corporations, not the immigrant yep. workers. Uh, but but I think we're think? in an understanding of how we want to make a better country. And we want to, you know, we want to make this country something that people around the world can look up to. And uh, I think we're on the same page. So thank you, Don. I appreciate Thanks, it. Uh, yep. All right. That was interesting. All right. Harold Sullivan, longtime friend of the show. How you doing, Harold? Hey, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Uh, I just want to start off by saying thank you. Sure. Uh, I've been watching your streams and your videos for a couple of years now, and you've had a big influence on my beliefs, my ideology, and I just want to say thank you. Sure. I'm glad. I, I'm glad. So what's on your mind tonight, Harold? Um, not much. I've just been thinking a lot. And I've been keeping up with the uh, events in Russia and Ukraine recently and, uh, you know, keep an eye on that, seeing how it's going to turn out. And I'm wondering if uh, this game of chicken Washington seems to be playing is going to turn out um, ugly or not. You know? Yeah. I mean, the whole world is bracing here. I mean, it's like we're on the brink of war and, and this war is not a joke. Media is not even telling people how dangerous this kind of war could be. 
Um, it's, it's utterly terrifying. Um, and uh, I, I'm just kind of blown away by that. Um, you're in Florida, right? Yeah, Southwest what, Florida. What's the atmosphere politically like in Florida these days? Uh, well, of course, you've got the uh, Miami, you've got the Cubans, Nicaraguans. Uh, there's a lot of Venezuelans. It seems like every single time the right wing loses in Latin America, all the people that are uh, right wing in those countries come here to South Florida. They congregate here, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, along with the Cubans and all them, you have uh, people from up north, uh, usually wealthier people like from New York, New Jersey, uh, retirees. They're usually like Republicans. And that's usually uh, that's like the gist of the political makeup here. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and I know a lot of them bust in for Trump's January 6th thing, but they never tell you that. They try to make it sound like it was some kind of communist rally or a rally by Putin, but it's like it was a bunch of Miami Cubans, the anti-Iran, you know, Shah supporters were there. Uh, there were, uh, you know, the Falun Gong, the anti-communist folks, you know, Epic Times, they were there, uh, you know, and that that's one thing. I mean, Donald Trump, you know, I mean, you know, he he had the support of all of these counter gangs the USA has, has propped up around the world to fight their battles. Um, and some of their short-term interests are not overall aligned with U.S. imperialism. U.S. imperialism wants to be strategic, and these people just have their vendetta. They hate Fidel. They hate the communists. Yeah. And, uh, and that's a contradiction, right? And it kind of reminds you of the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire, you know, they propped up all these various groups, and they imported all these, like, foreign cults to run their empire. And pretty soon, uh, you know, pretty soon the, uh, the, foreign, the foreign groups they were using as their proxies kind of pulled the empire apart. And you wonder if we're in a similar kind of situation. So there you go. That's that's one of my thoughts on all of that. Well, stay strong out there in, in Florida, Harold. Uh, you know, um, I know Alex Saab is in Miami. He's got another court date coming up. And, you know, uh, so maybe maybe you can get involved in some of the protests going on if you're anywhere near Miami. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really good to hear from you. I, you're a steady. I think you're a mod, aren't you? You're a mod in the chat. You're a, a regular. I always enjoyed having you. I enjoy your comments in the chat. Thank you very much. Yep. All right. All right. And so, oh, we got uh, Anatari sent us a, a super chat. Thank you very much. So I think next we're going to bring on uh, Kale. Hey, Kale, how you doing? I think you're muted, though. You want to unmute? You're muted. Sorry, my guy. Thank hey, you so much. You? Sure. I am great. I am. I am not um, happy right now because of like, the state of the world, but I am happy to be talking to you, man. I am a huge fan. Like, Thank you. Majorly. I've met... Um, I think I learned of you from Jimmy Dore from that, and okay. your your stuff almost seemed a little bit more like how do I say this? Not highbrow compared to Jimmy because I feel like he gets caught up in a little bit of stuff. But honestly, I kind of enjoy it because I was a secular talk kid when I was a little bit younger. So I've 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 moved on from here. Okay, but I sort of kind of got into this, and you sort of. You seem to have a plan. Like that's my biggest thing, thing with you, and that that sort of gives me hope with all of this. Um, if I could give you like a little bit of just sort of my background, that gives me my perspective. Go ahead. Um, I'm 20. I'm in college right now. Um, my last day of high school was in like March of 2020, and I was sitting at lunch with my friends, and they were like, "We got a day off of school tomorrow." I'm like, "How did I not know about that?" They're like, "Oh, this COVID thing—it's going crazy." We were like, mm-hmm. oh, crazy. Last day of high school. Wow. Like, it was over after that. Wow. And um, I'm from Michigan. I saw the whole thing with Flint go on. Um, I lived about 20 miles outside of Flint. Haven't really spent much time there ever. 
because the city is just like not a place you want to be. And the more I learn about it, the more it's like disturbing that like the people around me are like still here after all that has happened to this city that they're like, or not the city, but just the state. And then you kind of zoom out, you look at the country and sort of the state of things. It's like, holy cow, like yeah, it is how such people a, stood for this. It's such a know? hard time to be a young person right now. Such a hard time. Uh, you know, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I had, I had a good friend who just graduated from college right before COVID. And can you imagine trying to get on the job market? And, oh you know, gosh. I mean, I mean, the way young people, I mean, and it's like, there's all this like attack on younger Americans, right? Uh, you know, we heard it when I, you know, I'm a millennial, right? And I heard it all yeah. from my generation, yeah. you know, but now they're, you know, it's just 10 years later, they're doing the same thing. All oh, these young people, they're all screw ups. Why don't they get their lives together? Look at the country right now. You know, it's got to be hard <laughs> to, to be optimistic in this atmosphere. I mean, look at things. I mean, this is the world that you're inheriting. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the anger, the anger, the frustration, the demoralization, all of it's very, very justified. These are tough circumstances young people are facing. And uh, and the anger is very justified. And if anything, instead of ragging on the youth, they should be ragging on the, the big corporations and banks and on Joe Biden and the Democrats and the sellouts who have, have let it get this bad, don't you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I for, for me, I'm, I'm, I feel almost blessed to have gone through like what feels like a lifetime of like political stuff, like in like a matter of like 10 years, even though that seems crazy because I'm only 20, like, you know, I haven't been following politics for that long, but maybe around like 15, 16 is when I got dragged into it with the whole Donald Trump thing, the whole Bernie Sanders thing. We all saw that I get, you know, yanked from him twice. And he was just like, oh, well, well, well you know, well, yeah. for Joe Biden or Hillary, you know. And we were all just like, well, shit, you know, there goes that. Or, well, or that's, that's how I, I felt about it, you know? I mean, because it's like, well, what else what, what else have we really seen from it? Like, but sorry, I'm sort of obfuscating. That's but, okay. No, I mean, this is all really important. And that, you know, there's many, many young people that are looking at the world with a very similar view to, to what you have. And that's why we need to have a plan. We need a government of action that will fight for working families. We need to build a, a new political think tank to engage in political innovation to try and figure out how we can get out of this mess. And we have to approach people the way socialists have been approaching people in the United States doesn't work. I mean, this hostility and all of that, you know, listen to that guy who just called in. He, you know, I mean, he sounded like a right wing dude. Exactly. He said some stuff about immigration that wasn't good. But other than that, we were on the same page. Right. Imagine have so much in common. Yeah, yeah. So much in common. We have so little that does not unite us here. And it, it it drives me crazy that it it feels like people pick these tiny little things and they go, oh, this is my side or these are my people. We're all the people. We're right. all the people here because there's, you know, a, a group of a thousand people that are controlling essentially everything right now. Mm -hmm. does, yeah. does it get much worse than that at a certain point? Like, uh, oh, boy, 500 people control the world. 250. Like, at, at what point does it just... But, okay, sort of, again, obfuscating, my bad. But one of my concerns, okay. sort of just recently, because I've, um, I'll, I'll dox myself a little bit. I go to Michigan State University. Okay. Um, you know, MSU, right? Um, You're MSU, a Wolverine, right? The Wolverine. We were the Buckeyes. Nope, nope. We're the, we're the Wolverine killers. We're the. Ah, Spartans. okay, okay. Oh, yes. All we right, took them on. down this year, but basketball, I uh, haven't been following, but I don't think it's been going great. Okay. Um, you know, right next to Lansing, all that's fun having that going on over there. 
but it, we've been, we still have mask requirements. It seems like we're some of the last people to kind of be coming out on it. Our president has been extremely strict on all this stuff. Like, not great. But we, we walk around. We only have to wear masks to classes. Everyone goes to the bars and frat parties and stuff. So without masks and everything, we all get, you know, we all have to get boosted. We all have to get, you know, our vaccines and everything like that. But it seems like no one cares. Mm-hmm. Like, like no one, no one cares. Like everyone's like, yeah, it, it sucks, bummer. But it's like we're all, we're all here. And no, well, no one I, seems I like they connect. want to change it. I hope you can connect with students and youth for a new America, uh, SYNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe set up a chapter uh, at, at your university mm-hmm. because I think there are people who do care, and they would love to meet you. And there are people in Michigan that are part of the Students and Youth for a New America Club. So, you know, I hope you can check out the website, cpiusa.org. And there's a special section for Students and Youth for a New America. I, I, you know, maybe they can help you set up a club on your campus. I think that'd be very cool. So, I love that. Yeah. Good to meet Absolutely. you, Kale. And have Thank a good you night. Very okay? much. Best wishes Thank you for out your there. time. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. All right. Next, we got Dimitri. How you doing, Dimitri? Uh, hello, Caleb. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours. They just sort of didn't have enough confidence, like until now, just to finally, uh, finally talk with you about it. Okay. Because uh, how do I put this? Like, I've been watching your streams for a long time, but I just, again, I couldn't get the confidence just right until now. Like, I've been reading your books. Like, I've read uh, your Bread Tube Serves Imperialism. I think was it last year, and it's just like. Wow, it was just amazing book. I, I just couldn't put it down. Like I had to finish it up until the very end. Oh wow! Well, great. Yeah, well, bread tube serves imperialism. It was a brilliant trolling operation before it had even been published. Uh, they were already like, uh, you know, they were already, um, you know, uh, you know, screaming about it and angry about it, uh, and uh, you know, so I, I thought it was a brilliant thing and. It sold like crazy, and it was an introduction. A lot of bread tubers bought it just to hate read it, but it was an opportunity to speak to them, to introduce our principles and our ideas to them. I thought it was one of the smarter moves that this community engaged in. You know, um, you know, and a lot of people said, "Well, you know, it was kind of silly." And you know, I mean, there, you know, there were some things about it. If I could do it again, I would do it differently. But I think overall, it was worth doing. Um, I'm glad we did it. Uh, but did you have any other thoughts on the book, Dimitri? So um, no, not uh, really, but I remember, I think, was it like a month or two ago, like the gray zone put out like one of the bread tubers with Abigail Thorne was actually working yes. with uh, one of those think tanks. It's like, uh, oh, you were right the whole time. And now a yep. lot of people are going to look back and say, well, he was right on the money. Yep. Yep. And Abigail Thorne, it turned out, was on the payroll of, of you know, a uh, foundation that's tied to British intelligence, funded by the British government and by the royal family, was involved in operations in Syria. So, yeah, uh, you know, I my book was speculation. I just said, look, they're working with Steve Hassan. He's a known intelligence asset. Uh, you know, they're they're doing the work against leftists in the name of socialism. Right. That's that's really common. And it occurred to me, I thought, OK, these people are, you know, these sounds like the Congress for Cultural Freedom all over again. And I was right on the money. So there you go, you know, um, and uh, I, you know, if I've been right about this, I've been right about some other things. So there you go. Well, Dimitri, it's really good to meet you. Um, really good to good to have you on. And, uh, you know, you should come back on sometime. It'd be great to have you on. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. I just yeah. hope that finally with my schedule, I could uh, tune into your live streams, like live instead of like listening to it like a day or two afterwards. Sure, sure. Well, I hear that. Well, welcome. I'm glad you made it tonight. And thank you. Of course. Yep. All right. And now we got Chris Morlock, longtime member of this community. Chris Morlock, how you doing? 
Good. How are you doing, Caleb? It's good, good. Uh, great to finally talk to you one-on-one. Yeah. What's on your mind? How you been? Well, I just uh, joined CPI. got the uh, welcome letter about uh, two weeks ago, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, also trying to start the California chapter with uh, class analysis and a couple other guys here in, in San Francisco. So things are looking very good. I, I, I just wanted to uh, say that you're doing great work and I'm very excited about it. Um, I'm kind of a, an oddball. I, uh, I'm basically a red diaper baby. Hmm. Uh, if you've ever heard the term, my father sure. is a Marxist Leninist. He was in the party, uh, in, uh, the late 1940s. Hmm. He was a big William Z. Foster guy. And I was in the CPUSA in the late nineties. I left, uh, right when Gus Hall died. So, oh, wow. Um, this is the first time I'm hearing uh, authentic Marxist-Leninist stuff uh, in my lifetime. It's just basically following you in the last five years and, uh, you know, finding out about CPI and uh, some other projects to Infrared and uh, Jackson Hinkle and stuff like that. And it's the first time that I'm hearing because I, I got a classical uh, Marxist-Leninist education when I was growing up, you know, uh, kind of a basically Soviet dialectical materialist type education. So um, I thought those ideas had left the American political landscape. Wow. Uh, I don't, I don't know where you young guys get it. I mean, you just, you seem to have appeared out of nowhere and I just uh, I, it's like a miracle for us old guys because we had really given up for a lot of years. I mean, the, the time from, you know, early nineties until, right about the Bernie period was just the dark ages for us. Yeah. Sure. Well, let me, um, let me ask you, um, you know, you said you left just before, uh, just after Gus Hall died. Do you have any memories of Gus Hall? Do you have, have any anecdotes or anything about the great Gus Hall to tell us? I know Gus Hall was just a giant of the class struggle, a steel worker from Youngstown. He, he worked as a steel worker and was just, I mean, do you, do you remember anything about him? Any, anything that you could share with our viewers tonight? Well, we kind of, uh, called him Uncle Gus when I was growing up, like in the eighties and stuff like that. In the really? Season. Well, Joe yeah. Sim says I'm, I made that up. He says I made yeah. that up. But that's proof I know nothing about him. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, I yeah. never met him, so they did call him uh, Uncle Gus. Wow. Okay, someone yeah, tell that's it, it, Joe Sims. But anyway. well, it was a little bit of a joke because my dad's generation grew up calling you know Uncle Joe for Uncle Joe Stalin and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, it was it, Hall was around for so long. He was a legend. He did have a little bit of a uh, an issue there towards the late '80s. He made some bad comments about uh, Gorbachev that really, you know, my father was a very uh, very old school Marxist-Leninist, and he kind of had a little bit of a falling out with them at that point. Mm. But uh, he he came back from it, you know, um, and you know he tried his best. It was it was just a horrible situation in the '90s. So. I can't really give you any great stories about some of the heyday in the 50s, 60s, 70s. That's really where, um, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s were just a tough time for us. You know, it uh, it was all bad. It was just, I mean, I remember my, my father was a teacher and uh, I was sitting in his class after school one day waiting for him to finish correcting some papers. And it was 1991 and we were watching the you know, the tanks roll into, uh, you know, Red Square and stuff like that. 
And, uh, you know, he, he banged his fist on the table and he said, uh, you know, he said something biblical, like it is done. <laughs> and mm. it was an absolute shock for, uh, you know, Marxist Leninists in the United States. It, it just, it didn't seem real. Yeah. Well, I did a, a, a video about Gen X radicals. Um, and, uh, you know, because, you know, that period, you know, you know, the eighties and the nineties was, must've been a really hard time to be a communist. Um, I know there was the struggle to free Mumia Abu Jamal that a lot of communists were involved in, uh, you know, and that's I think that's when the AIDS uh, stuff, you know, act up and all that was going on. And and, you know, it, it's a period. And I feel like I caught the very end of that period, uh, like because I got involved just as the Iraq war stuff was happening, the invasion of Iraq. And like, sure. you know, it was you know, there was this kind of current of people who were like they wanted to free Mumia. They listened to Amy Goodman. Uh, you know, they had protested. There was the Battle of Seattle in 1999. And I was I was there. You were there. You were at the <laughs> Battle of there. Seattle. Oh, my goodness. Yes. What November was it like? 30th. What was it like? Um, it was discombobulated. I mean, I was part of a small Marxist Leninist uh, student group at San Francisco State University. And we went up there. And uh, I just remember, you know, meeting with all the different groups that were there at the time. It was very, it wasn't organized and that's where it, it rained. I remember uh, we printed out uh, pamphlets and uh, the rain ruined the pamphlets. <laughs> it was just a, uh, it was, and there was a lot of violence and stuff like that too. So that's where I really lost a lot of faith in mm. the left as a cohesive movement. You know, mm. um, I, I went up there thinking that, we could maybe talk with some of the environmentalists, some of the other groups there. And, uh, it was, it was kind of a disaster. Wow. <laughs> well, that's really great, Chris, uh, that you can come on here. And I, I guess I'll tell you, you know, I discovered William Z. Foster on my own. Uh, you know, I was looking for communist stuff. I was in high school and I, I got a compilation of communist writings from the cold war, like that was published and it had a selection from towards Soviet America. And I saw the name of the book and I thought, Towards Soviet America, that sounds like a really neat book. I want to order that. And so I went to the public library and I looked for Towards Soviet America, History of the Three Internationals. <laughs> and I looked for Towards Soviet America. I got, you know, I ordered it from like interlibrary loan and I read that book and I was like, wow, it was yeah. clear. It was very to the point. And it laid out yeah. exactly. I mean, it was like, here's the mess the country's in, Great Depression. Uh, here's how the Soviet Union's doing. Uh, here's you know, the crisis of capitalism and here's the revolutionary way out. And here's what Soviet America, the USSA will look like. I was like, this guy is speaking very, very clearly. This is very coherent to the point, you know, and, and it was funny because I had read, there were so many books that had come out in the nineties that were all about how we have to get away from this dogmatic Marxism, Leninism, this hardline Marxism. Right. I couldn't find hardline Marxism, Leninism anywhere. I didn't know what they were ranting against. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. Where is this? Well, so I thought, oh, this is what they're ranting against. And I like it. Right. I like what they're ranting against. <laughs> it, it's literally as if it just disappeared. It just completed. It was uh, ostracized uh, academically. I remember, you know, in college, it was just like, uh, uh, it was just, uh, it, it wasn't that it was hiding in plain sight. It just didn't exist. So it's amazing to see that people are, to me, it's almost like you guys are reverse engineering the tendency, which is something I, I kind of like uh, hopefully predicted back in the 1990s. I thought at some point 
all of the, uh, you know, uh, we used to call them the State Department socialists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the term synthetic left, but that there would be this kind of tapestry of synthetic leftism and what would be left uh, kind of the negation of the negation would be this Marxist Leninist tendency and people would find it simply going through that process. So mm-hmm. wow, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, you read Foster and, and that was your way in. That's, that's an amazing story to me um, because my generation kind of uh, didn't, uh, we didn't we didn't hold the flame very well you know okay well uh, chris it's really great to have you on it's really great to hear you know that you're here and i'm really glad you're on there and and yeah i'm glad that we've given you hope uh after so many years of hardship and i think that we are heading towards towards a situation where our our political current is going to be really really relevant very very soon i can i'm pretty sure of that if you look at how things are developing so thank you everything thank you for everything chris and we'll we'll you know feel free to come back on sometime and we're going to take one more. We're going to take one more. Uh, we're going to have Alan uh, will be our last person. Hey, Alan, how you doing? Hi, how's it going, Philip? Um, good. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so great. What's on your mind tonight, Alan? Um, yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, it's great to speak to you. Um, I've been watching your streams for a really long time. And uh, just, uh, you know, you've, you've taught, uh, taught me personally a whole lot. And by proxy, I've been able to make uh, some other pe- change some other people's minds on a lot of things. Um, that's kind of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Actually, is like so one of my uh, best friends. Uh, we talk all the time about politics. Um, mm-hmm. He was brought up in a conservative family. I was brought up in a liberal one. He broke away for Trump in 2016, and um, you know I went a different direction, uh, which I have you know had mixed feelings about ever since, to be honest. Um, but you know uh, my 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 point being that he and I kind of, we've always been very, very close and we've agreed on politics in all sorts of ways, but he considers himself right wing Hmm. and I consider myself left wing. I mean, that's just kind of how I've always seen it. And increasingly I'm like, why do we even, why do we even use these terms that are inherently divisive? Like, Oh, I'm right wing and you're left wing when there is so much agreement um, I feel like we unnecessarily divide the working class and we kind of participate in a word game that essentially just comes out of li- liberal media, right? Like these are, these are terminologies developed by the New York Times and the, the neoliberal establishment, essentially. Yeah, well, um, my understanding of left and right is that it comes from the French Revolution and the people that were more radical sat on the left side of the French National Assembly. The people that were more conservative and kind of like the monarchy, they sat on the right. And that left means historical progress and right means holding on to some of the traditions of the past. That's what it means. But when I look at the left now, they're not left. They want to go backward. They openly say there are too many people in the world. They want to reduce the population. Uh, they, they look at, you know, quote unquote, primitive societies and think that they're more morally pure and superior. Right. Um, the, in a lot of ways, what the, the group that calls itself left, that kind of glorifies, you know, they tend to glorify you know, primitivist groups, they tend to oppose technology and historical progress and, and they're not left. I mean, left is historical progress. So yeah, I think you might be onto something in how that this left, right divide, it doesn't really make any sense when so many people on the so-called left are primitivists, as Olympia Logic is saying in the chat right now. Primitivism is by definition, not left, right? Uh, Supporting Wahhabi extremists against the Syrian government 
is by definition not left, right? You know, uh, saying that the government of Nicaragua is bad because they want to build a canal because, you know, the indigenous groups who don't use electricity don't approve or something, that's not left, you know? Um, you know, China is the most left thing around with their fusion energy and raising people out of poverty, et cetera. Uh, but yet I ha hear people saying that China is right wing. It doesn't make any sense, right? Left and right doesn't make any sense. And I mean, that's how I've always vaguely understood it uh, has been, you know, has been that way. Uh, so there you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah so. Um, well, I mean, if, if I could just follow up on that, like yeah. one thing that I think that we need to think about as leftists and like, I think that your uh, channel and, and Jackson Hinkle and Jimmy Dore, and there's, there's like a clear kind of core ideological kind of framework being developed there, but it's so vastly different from that of mm -hmm. like the, the sort of, you know, synthetic left or the, you know, the kind of liberal uh, aligned, you know, PSL types. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we need to make that distinction very clear and, and, and know kind of who our friends are, like, you know, we, we, that, that we need to align ourselves more with like a class than with a left-right kind of dichotomy. Yes, absolutely. The class struggle is key. And, and that's what these folks are not missing. They say, if you talk about that, you're a class reductionist, you're an economist, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's, that's a very good point. And the talking about class, like that first caller, you know what I mean? Like if I was on here saying F America, destroy the United States, tear it all down, burn it down, he would never give me the time of day. But it seemed like there was a lot we could agree on, despite the fact that he, he was coming from more of a conservative kind of place. So there we go. Uh, well, it's good to have Absolutely. you on, Alan. Uh, always a pleasure. Maybe we can have you back on sometime. It's great. Thank you very much. All right. That's all we're doing for the opening up. I see there is somebody else in, in the chat, but he's got like shooter in his name or something. And I don't I, I'm, I don't like that. So maybe another time, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do that. Um, but but, you know, I just that's not uh, um, that's not who I want to bring on right now. But uh, but I think that uh, we can now do our roll call where I call people out as I see them, names and locations, names and locations. Uh, you know, if anyone wants me to call you out names and locations, uh, that's what we'll do. So names and locations. Um, all right. Who's with us tonight? Names and locations. I will call you out as I see you. We'll do a little bit of a, it'll be a shorter roll call tonight, I think, because we got a lot of super chats to answer. Uh, but there you go. Rees from Adelaide, Australia, Ryan in Oakland. Um, uh, uh, QC from LA County, Kendall in San Diego, West Virginia, San Francisco, Ryan in Pittsburgh, Joe Gale, Nassau County, Mike from North Carolina, Robert Aloha from Hawaii, uh, Bob Troy in New York, Pomona, California, Mo from Pomona, California. Um, there we go. Gabby uh, in Chicago, Gotham, Sweden, man, Susan Brown in Rhode Island, David Fox in Bendigo, Australia, David from San Jose, Robert, uh, the tanky. Carmen from Reading, Pennsylvania, uh, Dallas, Texas, Isaiah Mosin from Iran. Uh, you know, uh, there we go. Uh, who else is with us? Uh, AJ from North, North New Jersey, Dylan Smell from California, uh, Sacramento, Juan from Gusty in the Netherlands. Um, very, very good. Uh, Cedric, Maine, Canary Islands. Um, Spain, uh, Linwood, Treasure Coast, Florida, Captain Waffles, Kieran from San Diego is with us, uh, Terry from Upper Peninsula, uh, M Michigan, Sam Scheller from Santa Monica is with us, Bob from New York is with us tonight, Silicon Valley, Frahad, very, very good, Micah from Las Vegas, all right, uh, uh, Bingham to New York, Love, Blind Hate, uh, Toronto, Jonah from Toronto. Very, very good. All right, folks. 
All right, we're going to start answering super chats. We're going to start answering super chats. So we'll just start answering these super chats. What about those who claim China is engaging in racist eugenics? Um, well, from what I understand, it just doesn't uh, match. Just doesn't match uh, the birth rates. Uh, the birth rates among Tibetans and among the Uyghurs have been increasing. Um, and that uh, actually Gray Zone did some pretty good exposés of that. That it just didn't match this idea that that they were trying to you know tying the tubes of people, preventing from Uyghurs from having children, just didn't match the facts. Um, and that Gray Zone has done some very good exposés that that's not true at all. Um, it's not true at all. Um, and, uh, that's just not what happened. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, some things are true, some things are not, and that has been debunked. Um, and that, you know, there are facilities, um, Starbucks union drives, um, Starbucks union drives. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know what more there is to say about it. That's been, that's been debunked. All right. What about Neville Chamberlain and appeasement? Never Chamberlain, Neville Chamberlain and appeasement. Uh, what about it? Um, Neville Chamberlain and appeasement. Well, Neville Chamberlain was a British leader. Uh, what is this? Some people recently critiqued your tweet about posting. Uh, what are they critiquing me about? You know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what they're critiquing. So, um, but um, Neville Chamberlain, uh, you know, he was the, leader of the United Kingdom, and he continued to make deals with the Nazis. Um, you know, he signed over the Sudetenland, um, and I believed, you know, when the Nazis took Austria, he supported that. But what that was about was that the British Empire was trying to push the Nazis to move further eastward. They knew that it was only, only a matter of time before Hitler attacked the Soviet Union. In Mein Kampf, Hitler made clear that one of his goals was to rid the world of Bolshevism. Uh, the Nazis considered Marxism to be a Jewish conspiracy, uh, and they wanted to destroy the Soviet Union. In fact, one of the first things Hitler did when he took power was get on a plane uh, and go to uh, the Vatican and ask the Pope for a holy crusade against Marxism. Now, the Pope turned him down and said no, uh, but that was one of the first things that happened. Um, and uh, as a result of that, um, as a result of that, you know, there was an understanding that, you know, the Germans, uh, the German Nazis could be used against the Soviets and the appeasement that went on where, you know, they continued to allow Hitler to take countries. What that was about was about eventually moving Hitler eastward. And that, you know, there was this pact that was signed. The Soviet Union had gone to every major country, the United States, Britain, France, Germany, and tried to get them to form an anti-fascist alliance. And France temporarily was part of one and then betrayed it. And the rest of the countries didn't didn't go along with it. So in order to buy time, um, they they signed a deal, a pact with the Nazis, and they drew a line down the center of of Europe. And they said, neither of us will move our armies to either side of this line. Um, that was the, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, and uh, they knew that eventually the Nazis would break the pact. Uh, you know, they knew that, but that pact was a way to buy time. Um, and of course, the Nazis they invaded Poland. They went right up to the line, and then they eventually just broke the pact. Um, and you know, that's world war two. So there you go. Not a great math, but American can make capitalism her ex. And, uh, I, I don't know what that means. I do not know what that means. Uh, but there you go. There you go. But yeah, Neville Chamberlain, you know, talked of peace in our time or whatever. That was, again, the imperialists really wanted Hitler to just, you know, destroy the Soviet union. I believe Harry Truman, uh, who eventually became president, you know, was, was kind of maneuvered into vice presidency in 1944. 
Harry Truman very famously said that if it looks like Hitler is going to win World War II, the USA should support the Soviet Union. And if the USA looks like they're going to, if it looks like the Soviet Union is going to win, we should support Hitler and we should use both countries against each other. That was Harry Truman. He said that on the floor of Congress. Can you talk about a more horrendous thing that, that someone could say? But Harry Truman basically advocated supporting whichever side was losing so the two would destroy each other and the United States could be dominant. Talk about a horrendous speech. Harry Truman was just absolutely awful. Uh, why did Stalin not save his son during World War II? I believe, um, you know, that Stalin's son was a low-ranking officer uh, in the the Red Army, and that uh, that the the Nazis wanted generals to be traded for his son. Uh, you know, Stalin's son did die in a concentration camp. He died in a prisoner of war camp. I think the Nazis killed him, and that Stalin didn't trade his son. Uh, because he felt that, uh, you know, that what the Nazis wanted in exchange, they wanted like two of their generals back or something. And he said, I'm not going to make that deal. Um, you know, and Mao Zedong, his own son died. Mao's son died in the Korean War. Uh, Mao Anyang, I believe, or Anyang, uh, he died in the Korean War. He died on the uh, Korean Peninsula. Um, so uh, there you go. Uh, you know, I mean, that's and that's one thing, you know, could you imagine the Bush twins, uh, you know, dying? You know, Hunter Biden was in the Navy and got kicked out for using cocaine. Uh, you know, the socialist countries are doing things a little bit differently. Um, uh, all right. Uh, abolition of the police. Is it ultra left? Well, here's the thing. The concept. If you ask people who say they want to abolish the police, right? Because I, I mean, I was in a group. I used to be in a leftist group that said abolish the police. We talked about what it actually means. We actually talked about it. When, you, when, when leftist communists say abolish the police. What they mean is that they would they would like to get to a, like a dual power situation where community assemblies and working class, you know, people's militias or something can play the role of police uh, and they can play the role of police. Um, that's what they want. Uh, that's that's what they want. OK, that's what they're looking to do. Um, and the idea is that uh, that, you know, calling to abolish the police is saying that this you know, this state apparatus of the ruling class, uh, the police forces that have been formed to serve capitalism, uh, you know, should be abolished and replaced with community assemblies or something that represents the working class. Okay. As a concept, I agree with that. All right. I'd like us to have a socialist state and that would mean a new working, working class law enforcement entities, you know, community police, people's police, et cetera, getting rid of the, the bourgeois state. In essence, I agree with it. However, I don't think it's a good slogan to raise because what I just explained to you is something you really have to already be a communist to understand. For most people, when they hear abolish the police, they think, um, okay, so it's midnight and someone's breaking into my home. Who do I call? Uh, they think, okay, well, what stops people from speeding on the highway and running people over uh, because, you know, that, you know, you know, there's no police to write them a ticket. Right. And that, you know, we all know the bourgeois state, um, is horrendous. We all know a lot of people don't call the police. A lot of, you know, people of color say, you know, the police are so dangerous, they won't call the police. And they, you know, they, they call, you know, a lot of people, even, even white people, you know, they have guns in their house and they say, I'm not calling the police because I don't trust the police and I'm going to protect myself. And, and, you know, and, and there's examples of, you know, the police come and make things worse. There's many examples of that. I, one of the police brutality cases I worked on in Cleveland was actually a situation where the daughter was going to drive, get in the car and drive drunk. And the father didn't want her to drive. And so there was kind of a standoff between the father and the daughter. The police were called and the police made everything worse. They beat the crap out of this young woman and dragged her to court. And it was awful. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, that said, if you just say abolish the police, that's a demand that doesn't make sense to most people. Most people here abolish the police and it doesn't make any sense. Um, um, 
you know, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Dirty joke. Ha ha ha. Anyway. Um, but, uh, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, doesn't make any sense to most people. Um, and so abolish the police, you know, it's not a slogan I like because it doesn't make sense. Um, and it's kind of like the no borders slogan. Socialist countries have borders. Did you know that North Korea, South Korea, you know, South Korea is not a socialist country, but you know, I mean, China's got borders, you know, Cuba's got, it's an Island. I guess it doesn't have borders cause it's an Island, but you know, I mean, but you know, I mean, you know, the Soviet union had borders, you know, what you mean is eventually we want to get to a world uh, where there's enough prosperity and there's no need to regulate international travel. But look, even if we let every single person into the country, even if we completely allowed full immigration, there would still be a customs process. You couldn't just walk across the border. There would still be a border. There'd be, you know, they would just let everyone cross it. There'd still be, you know, customs, right, you know, to regulate international trade. So if you say you want to abolish the borders, that doesn't make sense. Most people look at that and think that's insane. Right. And the same with abolish the police. Most people look at that and they think it's insane. So I, in essence, I agree with what they're saying, that we need to move toward, you know, a socialist police force. We need to move toward a police force that's based in the community and serves working families. That I get. However, uh, if you if, if you say it that way, it doesn't come across and it just feeds into this anarchist slogan that a lot of, you know, a lot of the left is associated with destruction and death and chaos and it feeds into the idea that we're all just a bunch of crazy people that want to burn things down and tear things down and bomb and kill and destroy. And that's not the image. We need to be city builders. We need people to understand we want to make their lives better with socialism. So I don't advocate that slogan at this time because people don't understand it. That's why. And I do understand it. And I realize that in order to understand it, you have to be advanced. All right. So was wondering if you have a favorite novel or novelist. All right. Favorite novel or novelist. All right. Very, very good. All right. Wrote it down. All right. Uh, your next book should be on U.S. foreign policy lies. Well, I actually did think of, a, of an idea for a short book today that it may be, I'm going to talk to a few people first, but it may be my next book coming up. Um, it's a book that needs to be written at this time. will certainly generate a huge amount of controversy and will certainly involve, you know, refuting a lot of foreign policy lies for sure. So, Stay tuned about my next book. Uh, you'll be surprised if I end up doing this project. Sometimes I have a project and I don't go with it. But, you know, the Bread 2 book, that happened. The Kamala Harris book, that happened. Uh, you know, uh, so, you know, this project I've got, I, I just got an idea today. It just came to me. I think I was taking a shower earlier today and an idea came to me and I thought, now that book, that book would certainly piss off the Bread Tube crowd. That book would certainly get people angry, but that book needs to be written. And, uh, so, you know, uh, uh, we'll see, we'll see what, what comes out, uh, that it may be happening. So there you go. Next question was the USSR state capitalist. No. And I'll tell you why, uh, what is capitalism? Capitalism is when the means of production function according to profits. Capitalism is production organized to make profits under capitalism. We don't have schools because people need to learn. We have schools to teach people to be obedient workers, to make profits for capitalists. We don't have housing because people need a place to live. We have housing because landlords and bankers need to make money. We don't have food so people can eat it. We have food so big box stores and agribusiness can make money off of them. Capitalism is production organized for profit. That's capitalism. Socialism is when production is organized for the benefit of society overall, production upon a predetermined plan. That's what socialism is. Um, and socialism is very different than capitalism. Now, 
socialism can have a bureaucracy. Socialism can often be, you know, very much, you know, like kind of military and authoritarian out of necessity. Socialism has come into the world in countries that have been historically impoverished and they've had to build themselves up from nothing. Uh, but the Soviet Union was a socialist society. State capitalism is different than socialism. State capitalism means it's capitalism. It's still production organized for profit, but there is heavy involvement by the state. And state capitalism is Singapore, for example. Singapore is a capitalist country. The economy of Singapore is organized to make profits for private owners. However, the government ensures that, that there's kind of a monopoly for four families and facilitates that. There's a lot of government ownership and government management of the economy in order to maintain the economy. And it's been very successful. It's a kind of state-controlled capitalism, the Asian tiger countries. South Korea uh, was, is, a, is, a, is state capitalism in a lot of ways. You know, the government runs uh, the car companies, the government runs uh, the, uh, the steel industry, POSCO, but they're still making profits for private owners and they're still operated to make profits, but the state manages capitalism to make it more efficient. A lot of the Asian tiger countries are like that. Taiwan is like that. Um, Saudi Arabia is a great example of state capitalism, right? Because it's a, you know, for-profit economy generating profits, oil money for the Saudi royal family and their cronies. Uh, but you know, the state is heavily involved, makes sure that the bin Laden family maintains a monopoly on construction. Uh, you know, makes sure that those Shia oil workers are never allowed to organize a union and fight for their rights. Um, you know, that, that system where, where there's a heavy amount of state involvement in managing a, an economy that's organized to make profits for a group of private owners. The economy is not serving society overall. It's serving private owners, but they have a heavy state involvement in order to do it. Bonapartism, it's usually a form of bonapartism. Uh, that's state capitalism. That's not what the USSR was. The people who argue the USSR was state capitalists generally say, well, uh, you know, there was, there was inequality between the workers on the job your average worker in the job and your average Communist Party bureaucrat, there was inequality between them. Well, that's true, but that doesn't make it capitalism. Inequality exists in any society. Until we have communism, the higher stage of communism, there's going to be inequality to some degree or other. Um, the issue is that you know there is a bureaucracy that, that draws out of the same surplus, right? And a bureaucracy can be parasitical, right? And a bureaucracy can have bureaucratic privilege that's not the same thing as a capitalist. A capitalist is exploiting workers' labor in order to make profits. A bureaucrat, right? And a bureaucrat in the Soviet steel industry, there was some Soviet bureaucrat who was the head of the Soviet steel industry, and he got paid a huge paycheck to run that Soviet steel industry. Not a capitalist because he didn't make profits off of it. He got a paycheck for running a state-run industry. That, you know, that steel industry was told how much steel to produce, and they produced it. And if he did his job right, he got his paycheck. Right. Uh, there was not incentive. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, make him produce more steel to make profits. He, the price of steel wasn't fluctuating in order to, to, you know, in order to maximize his profit. He wasn't, you know, shutting down and opening plants based on his own market needs. It's not capitalism. Right. Now, that guy who was the head of the Soviet steel industry made a lot more money. He was a bureaucrat. Um, but these people who call the Soviet Union state capitalist, they don't seem to understand the difference between a parasitical bureaucracy or a bureaucracy that, that gets its money out of the same, you know, the same, the same surplus that all of society benefits from, uh, but they get a bigger share of it. Uh, that's not the same as a class. Great, you know, analogy that's been made um, 
you know, uh, a great analogy that that's uh, that's been made about that is that, you know, like say there's a shortage of food. If there's a shortage of food. You got to ration the food right, to make sure that everyone gets enough. Um, and, you know, so you have you have a shortage of bread. And you have to you know, you have to ration the bread. Right. Um, however, uh, you're going to have to um, you're going to have to, you know, have a guard who guards that line to make sure to make sure that nobody takes anybody else's bread. But that guard is going to demand that he get a bigger slice of bread because he's taking on the responsibility of being the guard who keeps everyone else in line and makes sure no one takes anyone else's bread. That's a bureaucracy. It's the person who takes on the responsibility of being the boss, of being the manager or whatever, and therefore is going to demand some privilege in exchange for that. They talk about bureaucratic privilege, right? I think that the, the, you know, the top bureaucrats in the Soviet Union made like 200 times what the average worker makes. Well, that's not good. That's an inequality. We'd like to get to a society where you don't have that kind of inequality. But the average CEO in the United States makes thousands and thousands of times what the average worker makes. So it's a pretty big difference. Uh, but yes, you're going to have inequality in socialist societies. You will. Um, and I believe if you read The State and Revolution by Vladimir Lenin, he says inequality and unjust inequality exists in a socialist society. The ultimate goal of communism is a world with so much wealth and abundance that we can get rid of all classes in society from each according to their own ability to each according to their need. But socialism is a centrally planned economy. It abolishes the irrationality of capitalism uh, that holds back human growth and creativity. It allows us to continue to have growth because that's what the Soviet Union and China did. They continued raising, you know, raising economic growth. Uh, but at the same time, at the same time, uh, you're also, you know, going to have inequality, right? Um, and that if you try to enforce rigid equality in a society uh, of poverty, uh, the result is a disaster. And then we saw that with the Cultural Revolution in China. We saw that with Pol Pot in Cambodia. Uh, even Che Guevara's economic policies, uh, the new socialist man policies of Che Guevara, they didn't work out too well. Um, and when you try to enforce uh, you know, some kind of ultra egalitarianism in a state of poverty, it's a disaster. Only abundance can create socialism, right? Only abundance can create the higher stage of communism. Deng Xiaoping said, poverty is not socialism, but to be rich is glorious. And I think that's correct. Um, is Germany willing to kill Nord Stream 2? Well, that's interesting. When Biden met with Scholz, uh, the, the, you know, the German chancellor, Biden said that if Russia invades Ukraine, that Nord Stream 2 pipeline won't go on. Scholz didn't say that. So that indicates that if the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is, uh, is, you know, is, you know, proceeding, uh, that the United States has some plan with sanctions or whatever to make sure it doesn't turn on. But Scholz didn't say that, right? And, you know, the Germans, they're opposing Russia, et cetera, uh, but they've still got that Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Scholz hasn't turned it on yet. Uh, and I think a lot of what's going on here is a, is a plan to prevent Scholz from turning it on. Do you think Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan are grifters? What's a grifter? All right. Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan are grifters. What's a grifter? All right. Okay. We're getting through these super chats. Um, ever met journalists complicit with these lies? Yes, I have. Um, I used to work at the UN and I'm still, I'm, I go to the UN and do my reporting from the UN. I was in the UN press uh, corps for a while and I would sit next to these people who went to Harvard and Yale and they were, you know, they're supposed to be the smartest people 
And I would talk to them. In the cafeteria at the UN, I would talk to them. I would talk to them. You know, they'd have a reception on UN week in September. I would go to it. And I'd be blown away by how these people had no understanding. You know, I think there was a reception by the Iranian mission and I went to it. There was a lot of just people from the UN press room that were there. And I talked to them and I was blown away. These people had no idea that the war in Syria like had two sides to it. I was talking to them. I was just shocked, you know, that these people, but I realized that's what education in the United States is, right? Education in the United States. I hated college. I hated college because it's just a test of conformity. It's just about teaching people to be conformists. Um, and the more you conform, the less you think, the more that you just obey and don't think critically, the more you get ahead. And the more you question things, the more you actually care about the subject being taught, uh, the more, you know, you do poorly. Um, and these people, yeah, they were the top performers. They did, you know, top of their class in journalism at Harvard and, and Yale and Stanford and all of that. And they had no clue that there were two sides to two sides to the story. Right. And that's, that's, that is absolutely the truth. Um, and I think a lot of these people, they lie without even knowing it, right? I mean, they, you know, they develop a relationship with the State Department or with the intelligence community and they get handed stuff and then they just repeat it um, and they don't think about it, um, you know, and that's what they're supposed to do. And that's what they do. Um, so there you go. There you go. All righty. All right. Let's do the next one. Um, the anarchist critique of vanguardism, state socialism and socialism in one country. All right. So the anarchist critique of vanguardism, right? Lenin writes his important book, What is to be Done? And in his book, What is to be Done? He says uh, that we need a party of new type to, to mobilize the workers, uh, to, lead, to, to push the workers, and that spontaneity by itself, spontaneous uprisings are not enough. You need a party that is disciplined and, and you know, that, that can lead the masses, uh, that, that engages in agitation and propaganda to stir up the masses, to mobilize the masses to become aware of their own strength and overthrow capitalism. The party of new type, the vanguard party. And the anarchists say, no, the, the masses can do it spontaneously. They don't need, they don't need a, uh, a party to tell them to do it, right? The masses will just rise up on their own, right? Well, Lenin says, no, left to their own devices without the intervention of a vanguard party. The masses are only capable of understanding their short-term desires, their trade union consciousness, um, you know, uh, so there you go. Um, all options are on the table, including Nord Stream 2. We Germans are prepared to pay an economic price for that. Yep, that's not a full confirmation, though, is it? Uh, but, um, you know, a party of new type. Um, so that's the critique of the Vanguard Party. The anarchists say that, yes, the workers can spontaneously rise up. They don't need the intervention of a Vanguard Party to tell them to rise up. It can happen spontaneously. Lenin says... No, you need a party of new type to mobilize the workers, to direct their struggle, to be a struggle against the whole system. Spontaneity won't do it. Uh, that's the critique of vanguardism. Now, the anarchist critique of state socialism. They argue that socialism can be built without coercion, without coercion, um, that instead of uh, building socialism, uh, you know, you can, you can build socialism without coercion. Right, that you can build socialism voluntarily, build worker cooperatives, build you know different assemblies, etc., and um, you know that that you don't need the the state to seize control of the means of production. Right, that that you know as the society crashes all around us, they'll build little cooperatives and little 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 new forms of community will spring up to replace capitalism. Uh, that's what they argue that uh, that voluntary voluntary formations will replace it. You don't need the state 
to seize the means of production. You don't need to seize political power. The anarcho-syndicalists argue that it's a factory struggle. The workers in the factory rise up against their employer and seize the factory. Uh, you know, there's a book called The Coming Insurrection that was promoted by anarchists, The Coming Insurrection, uh, that argued, uh, thank you, Boston Sports, uh, you know, that, that argued that, uh, that the system was going to crash, but we're going to build communal gardens, et cetera. Um, you know, and this is, this is the anarchist critique, and it's fundamentally wrong. I believe it is a political struggle, a struggle for political power, and the critique of socialism in one country. Well, generally, that's a Trotskyite thing, right? Trotsky rejected socialism in one country and favored the permanent revolution. Um, but generally, the idea is Stalin said, look, there's not going to be a revolution in Germany or in France or in Britain or the United States. So we need to have five-year economic plans. We need to mobilize the country to industrialize, right? We need to, you know, build the Soviet Union up and industrialize the, you know, the country. Um, and that means we're going to have to sign some treaties with Britain and France and Germany. We're going to have to hire some, uh, you know, some CEOs and some, you know, corporations. We're going to have General Electric come and advise us about how to build our electrical power plants. We're going to hire Fred Koch, uh, the grandfather of the Koch brothers, to help us run our steel, our, our oil industry. Um, and that, you know, in order to do that, we're going to have to make clear that we're not, you know, trying to foment unrest and violence in the United States. Look, in order to make sure that we can have some American CEOs come to the Soviet Union uh, and help us build up our economy, we're going to have to make clear to the United States, look, you know, while we, you know, we support the working class of the United States and while we have a relationship with the Communist Party, we're not, you know, trying to destabilize the United States. We're not trying to export violent revolution to the United States. Thoughts on Turning Point USA? You know, and that that was necessary. And that was socialism in one country. Um, so, you know, that's generally it's Trotskyites who critique that. I think anarchists, a lot of anarchists oppose all nationalism. They argue all struggles should be international. So why would you try to build socialism in one country? Something like that. That's not what Trotsky said exactly. Uh, but that that's that's my answer to that. Um, did I hear about the shooting in Portland at the anti-police brutality protest? I did. And details about that are not coming out. Um, you know, I looked, I, I had, you know, it's like somebody was shot, five other people were injured. Um, they're saying it was a fight between a homeowner and police brutality protesters. People were taking the streets against police brutality and some homeowner didn't like them and was shooting at them with a gun. They're, they're, they want more information. There's an investigation going on. You know, this didn't, didn't used to happen. I, I will say, I remember, you know, you know, until like four or five years ago, people didn't die at protests all the time. But now people are getting shot down and killed at protests all the time now. You know, in Portland, there's been a lot of deaths, you know, and this kind of street fighting between the anarchists and the, the you know, what is it, Patriot Prayer and, and you know, the Antifa, Antifa fights against these, you know, white supremacist groups. And, oh, God, stay out of this, folks. That's my advice to you. Stay out of this. There's nothing to gain from this. You know, this kind of street fighting stuff, I mean... You know, it's this is FBI versus FBI. This is CIA versus CIA. All these groups are heavily infiltrated by the government. This is political theatrics, um, and it's not where we belong. We belong fighting for real demands that people of, of a working class background, you know, can can agree to. We we shouldn't be part of the synthetic left. We shouldn't be part of the racist right wing that's anti-immigrant and and is you know hating China. Stay out of this. Organizing communities out of the movement to the masses. Don't get don't get shot for the synthetic left, please, please. Don't get shot for Joe Biden protecting Joe Biden from Trump. Don't get shot for Donald Trump and white supremacy and hate and hating immigrants. No, stay out of this. Organizing communities, educate people about socialism. Out of the movement to the masses. Um, you know, I mean, you know, it's awful that this this person died, and you know, this person is anti-racist, and that's you know, 
that's that's good that they're anti-racist and that they were shot down protesting police brutality. It's horrendous, you know, and, and you know, I, I my heart goes out to their family. My heart goes out to, you know, to the, you know, the people who witnessed it, the people who've been injured. And I don't know the details of the shooting and what happened, but, you know, I mean, this is a tragedy and this is, you know, this is part of the, the ruling class. They are manipulating workers against each other. And, you know, a lot of workers have bought into this, you know, and, you know, supporting the police and supporting police brutality. And, and, you know, it's, it's a shame, you know, that couple that waved the guns at the police brutality protesters that like Trump made into heroes, that's despicable. It's disgusting. And whatever you think about Kyle Rittenhouse, it is disgusting that they've tried to make him into a hero, right? That kid is not a hero. All right. He heard about a police brutality protest happening somewhere. He got there, he drove there with his gun, and then he got into a fight there and he killed somebody. Well, the details of the fight, you know, raise questions. That's why he was acquitted, right? As many people believe the details of the fight he got into uh, didn't mean he was guilty of murder. That said, he should never have gone there and he's not a hero. Kyle Rittenhouse is not a hero by any means, right? If you hear about a protest somewhere you disagree with, do you go get your gun and drive there? Absolutely not. And so, you know, he's not a hero by any means. And it's sickening that they would make Kyle Rittenhouse into a hero, right? We can agree. We can, we can argue. There might be an argument that, that he shot in self-defense or whatever, but he's not a hero. And anyone who's trying to make him into a hero is, is wrong, deeply, deeply wrong in my book. All right. Um, degrowth where it's a process where surplus countries are penalized. All right. Very good. All right. We got a lot to get through here, but that's good. I appreciate the super chats as a process where countries are penalized. All right. All right. Trump 2024. Is it possible? I think it's very possible. Trump is an old man though. Trump is not young. So that'll be interesting, but I think it's very possible. Trump, Trump's movement is definitely alive. He's still speaking to his supporters. He just launched today his own, uh, social media platform. So I think Trump is very much alive. Uh, the question is, uh, is does, you know, will he be old enough or will he just be so old and tired? He doesn't want to do it. Uh, could Donald Trump be the new Grover Cleveland, right? Grover Cleveland was non-consecutive, right? He was ran for office and law and won. And then he ran for reelection and lost. And then he got voted back in. That's happened before, right? Grover Cleveland served two non-consecutive terms. And it's possible Donald Trump could do that. Would you ever run for office? Well, right now I cannot run for office because I work as a journalist uh, at RT. Uh, and one of the rules at our job is you cannot join a political party and you absolutely cannot run for office. A journalist cannot run for office and they cannot be part of any political party. I'm not part of a political party. I'm part of a think tank called the Center for Political Innovation. Uh, and on top of that, I'm not participating in election campaign for anybody. You vote. I do vote. Uh, you know, but I, I keep my vote a secret. I don't tell people who I'm voting for and I don't campaign for anybody. And that's the, the rules of my profession. That's the expectations. But in some hypothetical situation uh, where I was no longer working where I work, where I was, you know, and, and there are circumstances where, where I could, you know, consider running for office. But right now at this time, it's not something that's going to happen anytime soon. I'll tell you that much. With my current life circumstances, I can't be doing that, but there may, there may be a situation where that's different. So right now I can't run for office. All right. Uh, next, next question. Next question. Um, uh, multipolar world is, is Russia trying to expand its influence? Do they want Gemini or a multipolar world? I think Russia, I, I don't think Russia wants to take over the whole world. I've never heard Russia make those kind of statements. I think Russia wants a world that's more balanced, where it's not completely centered around Wall Street in London, 
where Russia, uh, you know, they're allowed to grow and prosper as a country and sell natural gas and oil, raise their people out of poverty. Um, you know, examples of dictatorships. Uh, and I think China also wants to flourish. And I think India wants to flourish. And I think a lot of African countries want to flourish and that, you know, South Africa wants to flourish. Nigeria wants to flourish and, you know, and that, you know, Latin America would like to flourish and that there are going to be multiple poles in the world. Uh, there, you know, the world is not forever going to be centered around the United States, Wall Street and London. It's not going to be like that forever. Um, so there you go. Right. Um, it's not going to be like that forever. Uh, American example of democracy. It's not going to be like that forever. So that's just kind of how the world works. And that the USA needs to come to terms with that. We're going to have a multipolar world. But no, Russia is not trying to conquer the world. And no, it's it's Russia is trying to be a, a, a real country and be a fair country that's allowed to trade in the world markets. And the imperialists can't stand that. Would you support sanctions on Justin Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister? I mean, I don't know what country would do that. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't support the United States putting sanctions on Canadian officials. No, I mean, I'm, I'm horrified by how he's treating the protesters and his authoritarian moves, but I, I, I'm not calling for the U S to sanction Trudeau. All right. Why aren't wealthy persons in the West referred to as oligarchs? They should be, they should be oligarchy, uh, just means, you know, an elite ruler, right? Um, I believe, what was it in ancient Greece? If if the if you had a king and he was good, he was a monarch. And then if he was bad, he became a tyrant. And then if you had an elite who ruled, and if they were good, they were called an oligarchy. But if they became corrupt, they were called a plutocracy. And then if you had an elected government and it was good, it was called a republic. But then if it became crazy mob rule and unstable, it was democracy. These are ancient Greek terminology uh, terms that are used. Oligarchy means the rule of an elite. Uh, you know, and I mean, there are oligarchs. Bill Gates is an oligarch. Jeff Bezos is an oligarch. The Rockefellers are oligarchs. But yes, it's a way to demonize uh, to demonize the, the socialist, you know, the anti-imperialist countries. Um, what's interesting is I believe that it's in Latin America, the term oligarch became popular. Juan Perón used to rant against the oligarchs, um, you know, Juan Perón and, and, you know, some of the Latin American socialists and anti-imperialists uh, and populists would talk about the oligarchs. Um, so there you go. Their middle ground between capitalism and socialism. No, there's not, but there is in the way that you might understand it. Um, Bill Clinton praised historian Carol Quigley. Oh, goodness gracious. We're going to be on here all night, but that's okay. Um, Bill Clinton praised Carol Quigley. Rhodes round table. All right. Um, you know, most people think of capitalism and socialism as if the government does it, it's socialist. If the market does it, it's capitalist. I think, well, we got a socialist post office. And we got capitalist McDonald's. That's not what it is, right? Socialism is when your economy overall is organized to serve the people. When you have a government of action that forces the economy, that plans out the economy, and forces the economy to work for the people, and profits are not in command. And capitalism is when you have production organized for profit, when profits are in command. In China, there's a big private sector, a lot of private companies. But at the end of the day, the Chinese government controls the economy and makes it work for the people. Whereas, uh, you know, in the United States, we do have a post office and, you know, we have, you know, public libraries and we've got, you know, all kinds of government stuff, but the economy functions for profit. Saudi Arabia, huge government involvement in the economy, huge government involvement in the economy, 
Um, but at the same time, it's still a profit-centered economy. Uh, whereas Vietnam has a very big market sector, but the economy is still forced to work in the interest of the public. Socialism is when the economy is controlled by society and doesn't function according to profit. Capitalism is when the economy functions to make profits for private owners and profits are in command, even if there's heavy government involvement. So there's really, yes, a country is either socialist or capitalist, right? Now, but the way people understand that generally, there, you know, you know, there is room for a market sector in socialism. Yes. And socialism needs a market sector, right? The, having a totally state-run economy uh, doesn't work in our day and age, right? That you need a market sector. You need private hotels. You need private restaurants, right? You need uh, you need foreign investment, uh, joint ventures. You need you know state controlled mega corporations like Huawei. The strength of socialism is utilizing a private sector to build socialism. So there's there is in 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 the way you're thinking of it, there might be. But if you want to get specific about what the terms mean, no. All right, next question. All right, states' rights opposing high speed railway. Well, states' rights is a term in U.S. history that's never used for good. I'll tell you that much. Uh, states' rights, um, you know, I mean, that was, you know, the, the Civil War, right? They said it's our states' rights to have slavery. Um, you know, even though the real basis of the Civil War was not that the states wanted to maintain slavery. It was they were demanding the whole country accommodate slavery with their fugitive slave law, uh, with, with, you know, with, with bringing in new slave states into the country as the country moved westward. So that wasn't really the issue, but that was the rallying cry of the Confederates was states' rights. And then uh, in 1948, you had the Dixiecrats, the white supremacist Dixiecrats, who, were, who wanted to keep Jim Crow intact. They broke with Harry Truman, and they ran against Harry Truman in the 1948 election. And Strom Thurmond ran for president. And when he ran for president, his party he formed was the National States' Rights Party, which was considered to be a Ku Klux Klan uh, front group. The National States' Rights Party was a white supremacist political party. And Ronald Reagan started his presidential campaign in Money, Mississippi in 1980. And he began, the first words of his campaign were, I believe in states' rights. And everyone interpreted that as a dog whistle to far right-wing white supremacist groups. So states' rights is an awful slogan in the United States. But yes, there have been states that have utilized um, the U.S. Constitution to block high-speed railway. And that's a shame. And that should be overturned, right? We need high-speed railway. So there you go. There you go. All right. Um, did the USSR become a middle-income country in the 1980s? Well, the USSR, they were growing throughout their entire history. They were always expanding and growing. Richard Wolff has a great video talking about this. And you know, in his debate with Destiny. Um, and I've talked about this. And so, yeah, the USSR, you know, in the 80s, they were seeing substantial growth and there was some stag, you know, there was some slowing down in the 80s. They had problems in the 80s, but their economy was still growing and growing at a much faster rate than our economy in the United States is growing. The fall of the Soviet Union was an economic disaster. All these people who say socialism doesn't work, look at what happened when they restored capitalism. Look at all the economic growth, all the electrification, all the you know development that happened under socialism, and then look at what happened in the 90s when they restored capitalism. It was a disaster. And how did Putin fix it? By reasserting state control. I heard Saudi Arabia uses oil money to subsidize universal health care. That's true. Yes, the Saudis do provide a lot of benefits for their citizens. Um, however, um, and we'll just answer this one right now because we've got to move right along because we have a lot of these to get through. Um, it's important to note uh, that you know, a third of the population of Saudi Arabia are guest worker slaves, and that those benefits are only for Saudi citizens, number one, and that welfare state doesn't make it socialism. Yes, they do 
or Saudi citizens, they do have quite a welfare state. And I think if you're, it depends on how close you are to the royal family. But a lot of people in Saudi Arabia, they just get a check. I mean, they just get a check from the government because they're Saudi, right? It's like they, the royal family, the king gets the most money. And if you're closer to the king, you get a smaller check and it's a smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the Shia oil workers, the oil workers who work the oil fields of Saudi Arabia are Shia Muslims and they get treated like garbage. But yes, in Saudi Arabia, there is a lot of handing out of oil money. That happens. Uh, but at the end of the day, profits are in command and the profits of the Saudi royal family c- control everything. And it is a profit centered economy. But, yeah, there are a lot of you know benefits for people in Saudi Arabia that are Saudi citizens that aren't guest worker slaves. Um, and on top of that, um, you know, there's a lot of handing out of money uh, because there's a lot of money. I mean, oil makes a lot of money. There you go. There you go. Next question. Next question. What is right wing? Very good question. Right wing is just a label. It almost has no meaning anymore, right? You know, you're right wing if you disagree with the synthetic left. You're right wing, you're right wing. Right wing means, you know, the way I define left wing and right wing is that, you know, that left is historical progress. Right wing is more conservative and traditional, right? So, you know, people that are against gay marriage, people that are against abortion, these people are considered to be right wing because they're holding on to more patriarchal, traditional family structures. Uh, People that are left wing, you know, they want, you know, women to have the right to an abortion. They want gay marriage to be legal, right? They want to reform things and make them more egalitarian. That's pretty standard. When it comes to economics, though, capitalism is very left wing in a lot of ways. It's capitalism that tears down communities. It's capitalism that tears down borders. It's capitalism that, you know, that, that, that brings in new, new things and new innovations in a lot of ways. Capitalism is one of the most non-conservative, you know, you know, views out there. Capitalism is constantly in order to make more profits. um, No, it's not objective. No, it's not. It's putting out the the views of the Qatari monarchy, uh, foreign policy stuff. It's in line with U.S. imperialism. But capitalism uh, is generally, you know, it's putting out a perspective. Uh, it, it's trying to make more profits. And that often involves the lifting of traditional restraints on morality and culture, uh, you know, involves tearing down divisions between people and such. So capitalism often plays a quite liberal role. And that's what Karl Marx spends the opening of the Communist Manifesto talking about, right? You know, all the all the ties that bound men to their natural superiors you know, capitalism tore down the traditions of feudalism, right? Um, and so it, it's weird that conservatives who want to preserve these traditions and, you know, that they're all about capitalism because, you know, capitalism, capitalism, it, it pushes a lot of things that, um, that uh, conservatives don't believe in. Uh, that said, you know, you know, who are the right wing in our time? I don't even know, right? I mean, there's a lot of people that are upset uh, that are against the status quo, but they have all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories, QAnon, they're confused, they're suspicious, uh, you know, you know, and yeah, left and right are getting even harder to, to define in our time, for sure. Have I heard about the Starbucks union drives? Yes. And I think the idea of low-wage workers having representation on the job is great. You know, Howard Schultz is the uh, the owner of Starbucks, and he is vicious to em- his employees. Google the word clopening. C-L-O-E-P-E-N-I-N-G-S, clopenings, right? And read about this horrendous shift where, where you, you close the store and you open the store. You don't have enough time to sleep between them. You work an eight-hour shift 
And then there's like four hours in between. And then it's time for the store to open up and you don't have time to go to sleep. Right. And these Starbucks workers, they work these miserable closing and opening shifts. It's a vicious thing that they do. And they have a computer program that figures out just how to get the most out of every employee. Right. With a computer formula, they track every employee to make them as productive as possible. I mean, Marx would look at what, what Howard Schultz does to his employees and he would be horrified, right? I mean, this is a great example of capitalist exploitation, driving them to produce as much as possible, you know, cruel things like this clopening shift. So the idea that they would unionize, demand a contract, a better treatment on the job, force them to pay a decent wage, force them to, you know, give them hours that aren't insane, like these closing and opening shifts. That's great. All right. Favorite novel or novelist? Um, you know, I don't read fiction very much. I am a nonfiction kind of guy. That said, I really like The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Um, I really liked uh, Native Son by Richard Wright, a very important African-American novel. Uh, when I was in high school, I read Hearts in Atlantis by Stephen King, which is a very good book. It's kind of an insightful slice of life novel. Um, they kind of It's some kids who live together on a block in the 1960s, and there's like a guy who moves into the neighborhood who's a psychic. And then the kids all grow up and go through like the baby boomer generation and the memories of this psychic living on their block kind of haunt them. I really enjoyed Hearts in Atlantis, the novel. The movie doesn't do it justice. There's a movie with Anthony Hopkins, but it doesn't do it justice. Um, you know, I enjoyed that. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of novels that I do enjoy, but overall, I'm a nonfiction guy. Um, so there you go. There you go. All right. Uh, Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan, are they grifters and what's a grifter? I wouldn't call them grifters. No, they're entertainers, right? Uh, Joe Rogan uh, has a podcast a lot of people listen to. Tucker Carlson has a late night television show. Tucker Carlson is is more of a, um, he's a conservative, but he comes out of like the more Pat Buchanan type of conservative, paleo conservatism, right? And he's kind of anti-establishment. He doesn't like Joe Biden. And so he's open to more you know conservative populism, anti-war kind of stuff. Joe Rogan is just kind of an entertainment guy who started a podcast. Um, and I don't agree with a lot of him. He pushes hallucinogens. I think hallucinogens are horrendous. People shouldn't be using hallucinogens. Uh, but that said, I think that, you know, both of them are entertainers. They have a podcast. Uh, they are trying to make money and they are trying to have a show that people listen to. A lot of people watch them. A lot of people listen to them. I don't think they're, they're bad people. I think grifters are people that are, are dishonest and manipulative, taking advantage of people, scam artists. You know, some of these preachers like Joel Osteen is a grifter, I think, um, you know, some of these, um, you know, I mean, there's examples of various people who kind of manipulate their audience, lie to their audience, favorite stand up comedians. You guys just don't want me to sleep tonight, do you? It's almost two in the morning. All right. Favorite stand up comedians. Um, you know, I mean, they, they just don't want their audience. to. Uh, they, 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 they hate their audience. They manipulate their audience for their own gain. And that's that's grifting, I would say. Thoughts on Turning Points USA. Turning Points USA is a conservative conservative think tank that goes around college campuses giving lectures. Charlie Kirk, they put out a bunch of crazy, stupid anti-communism, and I don't like them. He stinks, and I don't like them. All right. That's that's from the Spider-Man movie, by the way. He stinks, and I don't like him. All right. Degrowth as a process where countries are penalized. Well, degrowth, the idea that there's too many people in the world, uh, that the economy has expanded too much. We need to reduce consumption, reduce living standards, reduce the amount of CO2. Very dangerous. And it, especially for countries in the developing world, it's awful. Right. And it prevents uh, prevents people from getting a better life. Uh, all right. Very good. Our are Russia and China examples of dictatorships? No, because neither President 
Putin nor President Xi Jinping rule by decree. Putin doesn't just wake up and say, oh, I said it and therefore it is so. He does not dictate, right? Uh, there is a parliament in Russia, Duma, right? There is a process. There's a constitution. They have elections. So that's not a dictatorship. China, right? Again, President Xi Jinping doesn't just wake up in the morning and say, I said it and so it must be so. No, they have a, a parliament. They have elections. They have laws and procedures. So, you know, by definition, they are not dictators. Now, when we talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat and the dictatorship of capital, it means like the rule, right? Under capitalism, it is a rule of the capitalists. They dictate, right? They, they set the policy, right? And socialism is a dictatorship of the proletariat, but on behalf of all society, as, as Engels said. It's the rule of the people over the capitalists. Uh, that's the idea. But dictatorship is this weird concept that we have in the United States and American culture. We have this image of some guy in a military uniform pounding on a podium, and and it's never like that. No country can be ruled by one person, all right? Now, it can be one person who's like the, the head of state, like the, the leader of the country, the ideological leader of the country, the political representative. But every country, there's collective leadership to some degree or other. All right, is an American example of democracy. Well, again, in one sense, sure, we have elections here. We have a constitution. People do go out to vote. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the USA is very undemocratic because at the end of the day, it, you know, it's a class dictatorship. It's not the dictatorship by one person, but it's a class dictatorship. The big corporations and the banks who control the means of production, they run the United States, um, you know, and they let us, you know, vote and they let us you know, to some degree or other participate in government. But at the end of the day, the rich always get their way. So it's a dictatorship in a class sense, but it's, you know, in form, it's a democracy. And you could say that about a lot of countries. A lot of countries are a dictatorship in a class sense, but democracy in form. And I think that that's, that's what, you know, all of this obscures. Um, Bill Clinton praised Carol Quigley, uh, Rhodes Roundtable Group. Well, Carol Quigley is a very important American historian. A uh, well-respected academic in history. He was Bill Clinton's professor when he was in school. Carol Quigley wrote about the Anglo-American establishment and uh, and how, you know, basically, you know, there's a faction within the ruling class that's tied in with Britain. Cecil Rhodes formed the Round Table Group. Cecil Rhodes was the colonizer of Africa. Excuse me, the guy who Rhodesia, right? Zimbabwe used to be called Rhodesia. And the guy, um, you know, that, 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 that was the colonizer of Rhodesia, Cecil Rhodes, the Rhodes Scholar Program. This was a British oligarch, a British, you know, you know colonizer and, and wealthy British capitalist. Um, and he, when he died in his obituary or in his, I'm sorry, his will, he left money to create a secret society to promote the ideals of the British Empire, which include free trade. Um and, uh, you know, what was the money was used uh, by Lord Milner to establish the Round Table Group, which was a precursor to the Council on Foreign Relations, et cetera. And so, yes, these institutions that descend from Cecil Rhodes and descend from descend from, you know, the wealthy British capitalists and imperialists and that the institutions they set up, the Rhodes Scholar Program, et cetera. This is the most powerful faction of the ruling class, the Council on Foreign Relations, et cetera. Uh, the capitalists fight amongst each other. They have different groups that they organize within and, and what you can call the Anglo-American establishment that, that Carol Quigley talked about. Uh, that is, that is part of it. Favorite stand-up comedians. I like Richard Pryor. Some of his stuff historically is very funny. Uh, Richard Pryor is pretty cool, pretty funny. Some of it makes me laugh. Um, 
who else do I like in terms of stand-up comedians? Uh, you know, Drew Carey. I used to like Drew Carey's stand-up comedy. Um, you know, and um, you know, you know, you got to separate stand-up comedy and all that from politics, right? You know, the 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 politic, the comedy of George Carlin was amazing. George Carlin, uh, you know, he was a great comedian in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, and it was biting social commentary. Uh, George Carlin was a brilliant stand-up comedian. So yeah, in terms of stand-up comedians, that's who I like. All right, folks, I'm almost out of breath. It's been two hours and 15 minutes. We've been streaming and it's two in the morning, almost two in the morning here in New York. Uh, you guys are awesome. You're great. Sometimes you wear me out, but it's good. I need the super chats that supports our community and supports the work that we're doing. Um, you know, and we are, our community is set to grow and expand. So we'll end the way we always do. A new upsurge in the struggle against U.S. imperialism is now emerging throughout the world. Ever since World War II, U.S. imperialism and its followers have been continuously launching wars of aggression. But the people of various countries have been continuously waging revolutionary wars to defeat their aggression. While the danger of a new world war still exists and the people of all countries must get prepared, revolution is the main trend in the world today. While the danger of a new world war still exists and the people of all countries must get prepared, revolution is the main trend in the world today. We need a government of action to fight for working families. We need a government of action that will fight for working families. Have a good night.